you never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report, where we're coming to you live from our radio and television studios here in beautiful northwest Pennsylvania. Take a look. If you're watching on YouTube, take a look. What do you think? This is the hard work and efforts of Eric the Tech. Eric the Tech has done such great work. Uh, I have a facelift, actually, and uh, if you can, if you're watching us via YouTube, you can see the difference. A little bit of a, a little bit more clarity, a little bit more up close and personal. Is it not? I think it is. Well, folks, we broadcast, in case you're new to the program, we broadcast live each and every weeknight. That is Monday through Friday from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern, right here on our flagship station, the Global Star Radio Network. Global Star Radio Network, it's the place to be. And of course, we're simulcast on Blog Talk Radio. And, of course, on YouTube. You can watch us live on YouTube. And uh, each link to our audio and uh, video venue can be found at hagmanandhagman.com. That's our Internet presence for the show. Don't forget we have hagmanreport.com. There you can find show prep, news, and information that is important that you need to know about. So don't forget we have both websites, two websites. And, of course, I'm Doug Hagman at the helm with fellow investigator and my son, Joe Hagman, together. We're something I like to call the Hagman and Hagman Report, uh, America's premier father-son investigative reporting team. Now, portions of tonight's broadcast, folks, brought to you by Whole Tones Live. That's WholeTonesLive.com, W-H-O-L-E, ToneslLive.com. You know, one of the things... And I've always been a, a, a fan of good music, specifically classical music, I suppose. This is as close to that as you can get, uh, using the frequencies of the Bible of King David, 
oldtoneslive.com has a creation, just a wonderful creation that, um, well, if you're sick and tired of being stressed or overwhelmed and unmotivated, if you feel like you're being run into the ground, um, you know, you're not alone. You can experience, really, the scientifically proven powers of music, uh, music therapy through WholeTonesLive.com. Folks, bookmark WholeTonesLive.com. Go there after the show and download a free copy of WholeTonesLive.com. More on that later. Now, today, as the program unfolds, we're going to talk about what's taking place in New York. Well, you know what's going on there. Of course, the primaries. I'm going to touch on that a little bit. Get into some deep information about the uh, news, the the headlines, what's hiding behind the headlines. And uh, you know, before we do that, I just want to thank each and every one of you for tuning into our broadcast, for for listening, whether it be on Global Star, through your phones, at your computer, watching live. I just want to say thank you and welcome to our uh, to our new look. You know, you, you, you really helped build this. Each and every one of you have helped build this. And um, we're not going to let you down. Things are going to be pretty, pretty crazy in, in the short term, I believe. We're not going to let you down. But thanks for listening from, from California to to the East Coast, to Canada, down to South America, all across Europe. Thank you. Thanks for tuning us in. Joe. Yeah, it's great to be here tonight. We um, are in the new studios and have this new look, and it, it's uh, Eric did a fantastic job. we got a great show planned for you tonight. We are going to talk about the election primaries in New York State as well as uh, we'll be joined by Stan Dale in our third and final hour. We're going to talk with him about the um, intensive earthquake activity that's been going on across the nation, across the world, uh, as we saw a few 7.0 plus over the weekend from Japan to the Tonga region to Ecuador. Buildings were destroyed, cities were destroyed in some cases, and um, at the bottom of this hour, we're going to talk with Chance from AmericanSurvivalWholesale.com. He's going to come on to talk about uh, some preps and, and other deals he has going on at AmericanWholesale.com, where you can get the GMO-free Thrive brand of storable food, as well as other survival um, necessities for um, bug, from bug-out bags to water in a bag <laughs> if you can believe that it's pretty interesting stuff but uh just out of water <laughs> but let's start off in the new york primaries lots of crazy headlines coming out of new york today shenanigans uh is what it looks like to me from gop ballots not being available at places in harlem to uh people who go to vote whose last names start with the letter n uh, you know how they do that in alphabetical order, having to wait, um, people only giving, being given the Democratic ticket, people seeing Ben Carson on the primary for the GOP, all kinds of uh, 
different stories coming out of New York. They say hundreds of thousands of problems. It's the top headline on Dredge right now. I mean, what do you expect? I mean, this is what what is going to happen. And with all this, on top of this, uh, there there is a headline about Cruz. Uh, even if Cruz comes in third, he'll snag more than half of the Pennsylvania delegates, which is interesting. Also, in other news, we have um, more news on the UN grabbing control of the oceans, as well as uh, the a massive. DNA database being built by government. It's scary stuff. Where do you want to start? Well, um, just to be clear, and, and, and I and I want to make sure everyone understands what we're looking at here. Um, uh, based on all the information I've been gathering and, and information I've been trying to obtain from my sources. Um, you know, we're in for a, a rocky road, and I, and I know people want specifics. They want particulars. It's a little difficult at this point. Um, the sources I've got are, are, are saying that there's a, a pretty fierce buildup of of uh, police and paramilitary presence in specific geographical areas. Basically, I ask what areas my source said all of the populated areas which doesn't help me a bit um this cat and mouse game with information is it was not intentional this is not an attempt to just uh you know stoke up fear and, and to and to be um intentionally vague um what it is the information again that i received is that many of the or, or the way that 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 the dhs and federal authorities and the um, um, interaction with, with various police agencies is extremely compartmentalized. Whereas before, we'll say pre-9-11 and post-9-11, at least if we're this, a few years post-9-11, uh, a bulletin would be nationwide, for example. Now it's more regional. It's not to say they're all like that. It's to say summer like that. Uh, information that the uh, population centers practices are being, uh, practices, uh, practice sessions are being conducted to control the movements of people within urban areas. New York City, Los Angeles, Atlanta. You, folks, you can select the cities. That's number one. Number two, they're looking at something uh, in fair weather conditions, based on on the supplies that are being ordered, it's in fair weather conditions. So we're looking at the summer, early fall kind of event to take place. Again, not much help with regards to specifics. Thirdly, th- this does appear to be um, orchestrated by groups within the United States, and once more. That doesn't help. How many groups are there? Okay, however, it does, one one thing that is pretty clear to me from from my conversations is that the the conservative right-wing base will be, will be blamed. The, actually, very specifically, the pro 
Trump supporters will be blamed. Now, I'm not sure how that works, nor is my source. If Trump, for example, emerges as the nominee for, for uh, on the Republican side, I'm not certain how that would work. But regardless of that, they're planning for violence from the Trump side. Now, again, does this make sense as we look at it? We're only getting small piece, pieces of a larger puzzle. I don't. I don't know if it makes sense looking at it this way. Obviously, we're, we're missing a lot of pieces. We're missing a lot of information. And we're making a lot of suppositions right now. There's a lot of reason speculation being made here. I've been promised with additional information. As my source gets it. Now, you have to re- remember, my source now is at really arm's length from DHS. So there's a, there's a leak within DHS to my source to me. Does that mean that um, this information is not reliable? No, no, of course not. Um, this source maintained contacts within DHS. And to those people who, who may believe or say that, well, if, if, that, if that source is not with, with DHS or even if that source is with DHS, you know, there's always a question. Do you believe that the information, they're, they're going to allow this information to come out? Well, sometimes it's... It's a controlled release of information. Other times, it is they can't control the release of information. It just happens. That's why they people are called whistleblowers. But I'm concerned. I'm concerned about what's uh, what's on the horizon for this coming summer. I do believe that that gun owners are are in the crosshairs. This is nothing new. This is just solidifying what we already knew, but but uh, bringing it a little bit closer to the event horizon. And I, I also believe that we are going to be censored in, in what we write and what we say after such an event does take place. More information as I get it. Um, and, oh, the uh, mass, they are prepping for, they, when I'm saying that, I'm talking about federal agencies that, that are working with local and municipal Certain local and municipal law enforcement agencies are preparing for mass mass casualty events, plural. Now, again, the cause, I don't know. Take it for what it's worth. You go ahead and say, well, you're, you're just, you know, you're, you're just being a lot of information that's, uh, that's, that's too vague. Okay? Do better. You do better. Um, to, to, to those of you who would say that. But this is the information I'm getting, little by little, and and I and and it's being sourced out. Now, what we're also looking at too, and and this is an interesting thing, there will be people that uh, will be subjected to uh, uh, marginalization on the internet more so than they've ever been before. I would watch people such as Alex Jones, Infowars, and people associated with him to be. Uh, even more marginalized than he has been in the in the media. I would watch for people like Steve Quayle ourselves to be marginalized even more, and to, and to uh, the attacks to continue, more public attacks, more more overt attacks, and even censored to the point of saying, "Well, these people are attempting to foment chaos and and, and uh, chaos and, and uh, behavior." Well, what can I tell you? But but this is where it's headed, folks. <clears throat> this is the information I'm getting right now in real time. 
and uh, uh, I do ho- hope to have more for you as my my source permits or as as as, as permitted through the contact with my source. And you have to understand too, this is not just you can't pick up the phone and talk to these people and talk to the sources because it just doesn't work that way. And uh, you know there, there is an element of caution being exercised. So I, I would urge everyone to to really be very very serious about talking with your family and talking with your close friends and and making sure you've got a a place to to meet in the event of a communications outage or whatever the event might be. Regardless, this is good planning anyway for a family, right? Just as you would have smoke detectors in your home, just as you would have a fire extinguisher in your home near a fireplace or a furnace, this is good planning, good operational planning. So please do that. Um, and uh, watch. Uh, the, the other thing, too, is the information about those people, about people like us. The so-called red list. I, I don't know red, blue, yellow, green, whatever. I don't know anything about that except to say there are lists that, that, that are in existence. And... Um, but but uh, those particular people who are perceived to be a threat to the operations of government, that list is growing, and names are being added, organizations are being added to that list. I would really be careful with with respect to who you talk to, and um, sharing your planning, your preparations, your stash, shall we say, with others. So that's not to say be stingy. I'm just saying don't put yourself in a position where you could be classified as some sort of a survivalist and a threat to the to the government. And the Islamic terrorists in this country will play a part in this as well. They will be a part in this, whether they will be the perceived victims of some sort of right wing attack or whether they will be the perpetrators in a right-wing attack. There's been an increased amount of activity at the mosques and Islamic centers across the United States and an increased overlap with respect to the uh, FBI and uh, domestic uh, intelligence agencies at the state level as well. Information I had, want to pass that along to you. More on that as things break. So you want to take us to uh, to the more normal news, right? Go ahead. Well, um or if you I'm have comments start here. on that too, because you know I don't know your research might might uh, you know might might uh, correspond with with the, with the information I received. Or now I'm going to leave that alone for right now. I want to hit on this. This is something that we talked about yesterday: the September 11th bill um, that Obama said he would he would veto if the bill made it to the White House today. This from the Associated Press. September 11th, families upset by White House effort to derail bill. Families of the victims of the September 11th attacks say they are greatly distressed that the Obama administration is working to derail legislation, giving them the right to sue the government of Saudi Arabia for any role that uh, any role of the Saudi government may have played in the attack. Your place in history should not be marked by a campaign to foreclose the the judicial process as a venue in which the truth can be found. More than a dozen relatives of the September 11th attack wrote to President Barack Obama. The family members are also urged 
president to permit the declassification and release of U.S. intelligence bearing on the topic of possible Saudi involvement in the attacks. goes on to say at issue is the bill that would allow victims' families to hold the Saudi government liable in U.S. court. House Speaker Paul Ryan tiptoed into the swelling controversy Tuesday, telling reporters that lawmakers need to review the bill to make sure that we're not making mistakes with our allies. Obama is traveling to Saudi Arabia on Wednesday as part of an overseas trip. The White House opposed to it. It received some opposition here. We're going to let these things work out, work themselves out throughout the process, Ryan said. The White House said it had opposed the bill because it could expose Americans overseas to legal risk and could damage the U.S. relationship with the Saudi government. The kingdom has threatened to pull its billions of dollars from the U.S. economy if the legislation is enacted. That should tell you everything you need to know right there. the country threatened to pull over $750 billion from the U.S. economy if this, these 28 pages were uncensored and released to the public and then the 9-11 families uh, would be allowed to take le- legal action against the country. The government is arguing that it would open the door for other countries and their citizens to take the U.S. to court. So it doesn't seem like they're going to be able to reach a uh, medium ground here uh, because of opening up the Saudi Arabian government to litigation from the 9-11 victims' families could open up the U.S. government to litigation from tortured Middle Eastern families. I don't. I don't believe that. I mean, the, that's the their 20, excuse. Yeah. Well, the, the 28 pages, and there's a lot of a lot of. Um, Push toward releasing the 28 pages that Bush. We we have to remember Congress, Bush, DHS, the intelligence venue. I mean, all the intelligence. Um, um, well, all the the politicians within the intelligence venue had uh, put a lid on the 28 so-called 28 pages. But the 28 pages go way. There's more than the 28 pages. This goes so deep into the CIA their relationship with the Saudis, the Saudi intelligence, the CIA, this is beyond the 28 pages. And that, and just just to say the 28 pages, as I said yesterday, just to make reference to them um, as being of vital, of vital interest is really not, it's really not, um, to, to me, it's, it's, it's a no, it's really not an issue. I, I Look, I think that if they could release the 28 pages, I don't think that, that those pages uh, would be a surprise to anyone who's been paying attention. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe to the likes of uh, Sean Hannity and Rush Limbaugh, who's oh my goodness, I did have no real no idea that we were so cozy with the, with the Saudis. And I use them only as an example of the mainstream media pushing the same corporate lies and the same lies. So it goes much deeper than that. The Saudi involvement, the Qatari involvement, the uh, involvement by other Middle Eastern countries. Remember, we weaponized. Islam, and uh, this was this is kind of like getting shot with your own gun, um, getting wounded with your own gun, and, and then trying to 
and then covering it up. I mean, that's what this is, this is. But but look beyond the twenty eight pages. Take two hundred and eighty or twenty eight hundred pages that could be released in explanation toward the uh, uh, toward the attacks. And also, don't forget about the the three trillion dollar uh, legal suit that was filed by the victims, families, and survivors of nine eleven against the government of Saudi Arabia and against certain factions, including but not limited to uh, organizations. I believe the Muslim Brotherhood was. This is, I believe. Um, so I'm not exactly certain, but I do believe that, that groups like the Muslim Brotherhood were also um, involved in this. And this has been, the news about this has always been, there's been a big blackout about this. Joe, so before we go any further, I, I want to give a shout-out to someone here real quick, Todd O. I'm not going to give his okay. last name. All right. Um, Todd, if you're watching, if you're listening, I'm going to try to do this given our new surroundings here our new uh, studio. And and folks, have a look at this. This is just fantastic. 3D printer technology. Uh, this was sent to us on March 28th or dated March 28th, 2016. Uh, dear Doug and Joe, uh, Todd R. writes, I've been listening to your channel on YouTube for, for a few years and want to thank you both for all you, you do. I printed these refrigerator magnets on my 3D printer as an expression of my gratitude. Now, his website is <laughs> www.thingiverse, T-H-I-N-G-I-verse, thingiverse.com, okay? Um, in fact, what I will do at some point, I will post his website because you get to see these. I'm going to see if these will show up. I'm going to use this as a backdrop, This his letter here. And he sent this. Now, don't forget, now he, he he created these on his 3D printer. And uh, let me see if you can, let me see if this works. That's our logo, and uh, it's a 3D relief of our logo. I don't know, how does that look, Eric? Does that look pretty good? Can you see that? Because yeah. okay. you got one right to your left, too, the big circle. Yes, yes. Basically, what this is, is what's on the wall in, yeah. in, a, in a magnet form. And there was one other one he did, and this is our other logo. And uh, it, it, these are just so neat. Let me see if this works here. Can, can you can you see that? It's uh, the two of us. I'm not sure if I have it straight. It's the two of us. Um, yeah, this, I mean, that's really nice. You know, Those down a 3D printer. Yeah. So, I mean, how great is that? So, Todd, oh, I want to thank you so much for that. We want to thank you so much for that. They're, uh, actually, Eric uh, ran and got them. Uh, we have them. I have them in my office. And, and uh, just, uh, just w- w- what a great, w- what, a, what a great thing. Th- those are uh, printed by 3D. It's uh, thingiverse.com, T-H-I-N-G-I-verse.com. And then um, we'll put... Uh, I'll put the exact URL up on the website. Okay. So I just um, wanted to do that before I forgot. This report from the freebeacon.com. Report, Planned Parenthood organ sales are pure profit. Planned Parenthood abortion clinics profit from the sale of aborted baby organs, according to new documents released by a congressional committee investigating the organization's practices. The U.S. House Select Panel on Infant Lies released a preview of its findings after a month-long review of internal documents 
obtained from the nation's top abortionists, as well as organ procurement companies and buyers. The panel concluded that abortion clinics incur no additional cost in harvesting organs obtained from the already aborted baby and that the sale or transfer of those organs represented pure profit for the clinic. Yeah. Remember, they denied that they ever did this. Well, I, I am absolutely yeah. amazed, Joe. And, boy, okay, now I'm going to get started. I'm the report continues. Go on, just go ahead, because I'm going to get riled up here in just a second. <laughs> the abortion clinic has no cost, so the payments from the procurement business to the abortion clinic are pure profit, the report concludes. All costs are borne by the procurement business or the customer. Interesting choice of words, huh? The payments from the customer to the PB exceed its cost by a factor of 300 to 400%. Pro-life activists said those practices run counter to federal law, which bars clinics from profiting off of the sale of baby body parts. The abortion industry sells babies' hearts, brains, livers, hands, and other organs produced or procured by a middleman company inside the facility at no cost or effort to the facilities themselves. The facility receives upfront fees that can amount to five-figure sums every month, and then the procurement companies resell organs for tens of thousands more, depending on the child's characteristics. Marjorie Dan, Dan Fesler, president of the Susan B. Anthony List, said in a release, the documents made clear there is absolutely no cost to the abortion clinic so that all monies received go to their bottom line. All right. The committee's conclusion stand in contrast to Planned Parenthood's repeated denials that it made any money from the sale of organs. Remember, this is a congressional committee. Again, the committee's conclusion stand in contrast to Planned Parenthood's repeated denials that it made any money from the sale of organs. The group claims that all payments were to recoup costs the abortionist announced last year would no longer accept any payments from researchers or procurement companies for bo- uh, baby body parts. Planned Parenthood did not return a request for comment. The congressional panel will hold a hearing Wednesday morning to discuss the report. Okay. Well, I, I am amazed, folks, at the number of people who are sidelining the abortion issue, the, the killing of unborn children. I'm amazed at the number of people who are, the number of Christians in America who are doing that. Maybe I shouldn't be. Maybe that just shows my naivety. Maybe that just shows my, my lack of, um, of, uh, really understanding. Maybe it just shows how, how plain stupid I am. But why? Why, I ask each and every one of you, why are not people, why aren't people more angry? How did we forget the videos from the Center for Medical Progress? Uh, how is it that those videos, once made public, are now secondary to what uh, the, the Kardashians might be wearing? Uh, or, or, or what, uh, you know, what, uh, some celebrity might be having for lunch? We have, we have absolutely forgotten about this. There, there's a couple of things taking place uh, as well. And I'm also amazed at this, folks. I'm amazed at Christians who are defending and who have defended the act. Now, let me rephrase that. I am amazed at the Christians who 
uh, Christians out there who are who are critical of the Center for Medical Progress for misrepresenting themselves. Joe, you can feel free to comment on this because we have in the past, as investigators, gone out and operated under a, a suitable pretext for a situation, not getting someone to do something they ordinarily would not do, but very simply having them do it for us under a pretext by representing ourselves as someone who we were not. Because how many undercover police officers could walk up to a prostitute and say, hi, I'm a cop, I'm, you know, um, 20 bucks for, you know, a romp or whatever, whatever the terminology might be? It wouldn't work. Yet, I am absolutely amazed there's there's two there's there's two types of individuals out there who are screaming bloody murder about this and i would not give the names or website addresses of these individuals because that's what they want they want attention because they're irrelevant but their argument is not According to them and others. You see, here's their argument. A Christian would not misrepresent themselves. So the Center for Medical Progress, David, uh, what was his name? David uh, Dayadin or something to that effect. Yeah. Was indicted or was, was uh, charged with, uh, with uh, a couple of, what, two or three charges by, yeah. by, the, by, by federal and state authorities. Now let me ask you a question, okay? It, it, well, and of course, the argument here by the people who have, have taken issue with us is a real Christian would not misrepresent themselves. That's a very dangerous, to me, a very dangerous road to be going down. The second argument from the same as well as individuals that are around or within that circle Journalists, true journalists, would not misrepresent themselves in that fashion. Yet not one of those two individuals, actually entities posing as individuals, address the the matter of abortion, address the killing of unborn, address the mass slaughter that is nothing more than a satanic ritual. So let me ask this question. What, I mean, what's going on here? I, I guess I'll, I'll ask you this. What's going on here? Because a while back we had, we had a discussion. Of course, we had a discussion about the terminology, the change in terminology, how uh, tissues, uh, uh, unborn children are referred to as tissues and fetus. Uh, and, and, uh, Maria Canise had written me an email back a couple of days ago. Uh, reminding me that I had asked people to look up the uh, fetus in the dictionary, and she stated the definition isn't what counts there, it's the etymology of the word. In her Webster's Dictionary, it says from the Latin, act of bearing your young offspring. That's what the etymology of fetus is. When she looked up the definitions of offspring, it says progeny. When she looked up the definition of progeny, it says descendants, children. It also means offspring, uh, offspring. So fetus, when applied to humans, does indeed mean a child. But to get to that point, it's not, I mean, it's pretty well hidden, and it's not found quickly by looking up the definition. 
And she wanted to clarify that for us, and thank you, Maria Canese, author of Prepare for Persecution, which, by the way, is a great book. Uh, I was honored to write the forward for that, and I, w- I do recommend people go to Amazon and purchase Prepare for Persecution because it contains a lot of great information in that book, information and inspiration that you're, you're, we're all going to need here in, in the short term. But anyway, she also continues by this, saying that Noah Webster was a very strong Christian, a man of God, and incredibly well-educated. And he was fluent in many languages, and he knew what he was talking about. However, the modern versions of today's dictionaries have been altered. Some, well, people are, the the the, the, the dictionaries, the, the words, uh, this is the intentional dumbing down of American, uh, America as well as the West. And... Some of it is about dumbing us down. Others is to make us make it more politically and uh, modern, politic, politically correct and modern. And this is a, this is a great argument for using older editions. She writes of dictionaries and uh, even encyclopedias. And this is where the internet falls short. And we should go back and go to the libraries and go to the old bookstores and go to the archives for our studies. But circling back around, can you believe, Joe, that the, there are Christians out there who are assailing others for the act of misrepresenting oneself to expose the horror, the slaughter of innocence and, and taking this moral and spiritual high road better than now? See, that's what's wrong with Christians. And that's what's wrong with Christians today, certain Christians. not Folks, not you. But, but these these these... I don't even have words to describe. I don't even know if I call them Christian. No. Yeah, you know what? And just to let you know, Chance is, is standing by. All right. I just don't have any words for that. So I, I really don't. It saddens me. It makes me believe that these individuals are... are it just saddens me. Let's bring Chance. All right. With that, from American Survival Wholesale.com, we have Chance with us. And we're going to talk about some um, survival stuff this week, some uh, long-term storable food. Chance, it's great to have you back on. Blessings, blessings. Listen, I'm honored. Thank you so much for having me on again this week. Well, hey, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on, Chance. And folks, if you don't know who Chance is, he is the, as Joe said, the man behind American Survival Wholesale dot com, and it's it's nice to talk about preps. It's nice to talk about storable food, but you know what? It's even better to talk about tactics, methods of operation. Got a question? Here's an answer. Need some help? Here's a guy. Chance, what are we going to talk about today? Well, we are going to be talking about uh, AMP's natural disasters, bugging out. But before we do, um, I would like to uh, start with um, prayer. We've been receiving many calls over the past three or four months. Prayers for healing. And uh, I found a prayer that I would like to share with your listening audience. And uh, it's pretty powerful. It's short and powerful. So uh, I, I'd like to, to do that, okay. and we'll start with Scripture. But if the Spirit of Him who raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised up Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Romans 8.11 Please bow your heads. Father, thank you that you sent your Son to bring me life, life in the fullness, and life for eternity. Thank you that I share in Christ's resurrection life 
that Christ is alive in me and his spirit dwells deeply in my being. Right now, Lord, now I receive your healing. I receive the same power that raised Christ from the grave. I receive your life. I receive your strength. Thank you that all things are possible for those who believe. Thank you that you are moving in me right now. May I continue to receive from you this hour and every hour. Amen. Amen. So, uh, last week we talked about plants, maps. This week um, we're going to be talking about cases where we have an EMP or natural disaster and families are forced to uh, bug out and uh, bugging out on foot. So there are some tips I'd like to pass on to you. Uh, first, uh, if you're bugging out and you don't have a compass and you do get lost, it is imperative, number one, that you don't panic. And I'll tell you why. Panic is a physical and emotional reaction and it can occur independent of shock. It can also cause nausea, dizziness, even hallucinations, and in worst-case situations, your death. The best tips to eliminate panic, number one, stop, sit down, breathe heavy and deeply, and perform what we call a right brain function, like tapping on your knee. Then apply logic. Once you have calmed down, you need to analyze your situation and think rationally. Instead of trying to solve the emergency all at once, just focus on one small task at a time. Eat, drink, look for shelter. As a matter of fact, I say drink first, eat, then look for shelter. Study your maps and escape routes for water sources. So those are just basically keys if you get lost. Uh, if you don't have a compass, there are ways that you can find direction. And here's one simple, uh, so simple way to do that. If you have a watch, even if you don't have a watch, but I'll teach you. If you have a watch, hold your watch flat. Then turn your body and the hour hand face the sun with the hour hand. South will be halfway between the hour hand and 12. Right, so again, hold your watch flat, turn your body so that the hour hand is aimed at the sun, south will be halfway between hour hand and then number 12. North is exactly 180 degrees in the opposite direction. You can adjust for daylight savings time by just adding or taking away an hour. If you don't have uh, an analog watch and you have a digital watch, like a lot of folks do, you can actually draw your clock face on the ground uh, and do exactly the same thing. So that's just a tip if you lose your way and you're trying to head in a specific direction. Um, let's see. That's interesting. Uh, yeah. Um, another tip. If you're going to be bugging out, we would suggest that you only travel during daylight hours. Uh, it is very important that you, number one, if you're not familiar with the territory, that you can see where you're going uh, and you can monitor, you know, things around you. So only 
travel during daylight hours. If uh, you're not sure of how much daylight is left, there's a there's another tip. To estimate daylight, basically face the horizon and outstretch your hand four fingers from your hand between that the sun and the horizon indicate one hour of sunlight remaining. Every additional finger represents 15 more minutes of daylight. So if you're looking at the horizon in the sun and you're able to put up eight fingers, you basically have two hours of daylight left. I hope you folks are writing this down or you'll go back and uh, listen a little bit later and uh, make some notes. And the last and most important thing is water, folks. You, If you're bugging out, you need to know how much water that you're going to be bringing with you. And water is heavy, so you want to make sure that you have enough, but not, not so much that it bogs you down. So these are just basic uh, facts. Uh, a person loses an average of 1.5 liters of water every 24 hours through sweating, breathing, and urination. Physical exertion and high heat can increase that loss as much as one liter per hour. The minimum level of necessary water replacement depends on the air temperature and your activity level. So if you're resting at 80 degrees, you'll need to consume a minimum of one liter of water every 24 hours just to stay alive. If you don't have enough water, if your water supplies are limited, you should really try to stay in the shade and avoid any physical exertion. Okay, so listen, that's a a lot of information. Uh, We're going to continue next week with some more survival tips. And uh, gentlemen, I thank you. Before we cut you loose, Chance, let me ask you a question. Um, this is somewhat off topic, but it, it was it referenced something I said earlier. Um, and the question is this. Being a prepper, how much should you, to those preppers out there, how much should they, how much information should they share with, with neighbors? I mean, what is your, given your experience, what, you, what is your litmus test to, uh, of trust with neighbors, friends, relatives, in terms of sharing information with them. For example, you know, look, I've got a stockpile of ammunition. If, you know, the stuff hits a fan, come, you know, you can come here or whatever it might be. What is your litmus test? Wow, that's, uh, that's a good question. It really depends on the area that you reside in. So I'm going to take a best case scenario out in the country where you know your neighbors, you've become, you've come to be friends and uh, they're brothers and sisters in Christ. Absolutely. You want to work as a team or community so that each person has a responsibility. They all come together uh, for the benefit of the community. Okay. That's best case scenario. Worst case scenario, you're in Detroit, Michigan, you're living in an apartment complex and your neighbor's a drug dealer, do you really want to share that information with them? So I know that's extreme. So you really have to use discernment, Doug. You know, um, understanding that your preps are for your family and scripture does teach us, uh, you know, the widows and the children. However, we need to make sure that we're going to be able to help those folks. So by sharing that information with strangers or folks that, uh, you know, you think twice about might not be a good idea. All right. And, uh, 
one last unrelated question once again. I notice that you've got mylar blankets. How important are mylar blankets for your bug out bag? And do they work? They do work. Actually, it's amazing. Mylar blankets have more than one purpose. Um, as a matter of fact, you can take mylar and uh, double it up, wrap it around your credit card, and uh, put it back in your wallet. No one can uh, read your card from with one of those uh, devices. Um, this is something to throw out there. Uh, Fantastic. Mylar blankets are designed really to keep your body warm by keeping uh, the elements, right? You're supposed to completely surround yourself in the mylar by keeping the elements um, reflected off of your off your body and to reflect the internal body heat back in. That's the idea. Uh, they have another purpose of uh, you can use them as an emergency uh, signaling device because they're so uh, reflective. You can get the attention of planes, helicopters, or um, you know maybe someone that happens to be looking for you. Gotcha. No, notice how I always drag more information out of you than you intend to give. <laughs> Sorry about that. But, but fantastic information. Fantastic. Thank you. AmericanSurvivalWholesale.com. That's AmericanSurvivalWholesale.com for all of your survival needs. Chance, thank you so much for that. Uh, um, you know how they had bicentennial minutes back in 76? I, I'm trying to think of what we should call this. Uh, survival, survival commentary or whatever. But, uh, good stuff. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. All right. God bless you guys. God bless you, too. Thanks, Jan. <coughs> Interesting. All right. Well, one thing, Joe, I want to go back to, because you were talking about this, and I had made, uh, I kind of glossed over this. Uh, we were talking about the 28 pages, and, and I know people are into this, into the news about the 28 pages. Um, I just want to make reference to this, because Saudi Arabia's financial involvement in the 9-11 attacks, just to clarify this, and in fact, Ted Brower had talked about this book, um, the most dangerous, most dangerous book in the world, now we've got no uh, we've got no connection to the author, no connection to the book, uh, but we read so you don't have to. Okay, and uh, Ted Brower, Doctor Ted Brower, had cited it extensively from this book, the most dangerous book in the world, and I have to say it came today. Uh, my copy of this came today, and very interesting. But uh, uh, it's it's looking at nine eleven from different angles, including but not limited to an occult perspective. Now, here's the deal. New York Daily News published an article yesterday. No, yeah, yeah, it was yesterday, about Saudi's financial involvement in the 9-11 attacks. And uh, Obama was speaking with, <clears throat> or pictured uh, in the in the article, pic- pictured speaking with King Salman bin Al-Aziz, uh, uh, back in September at the White House. Now, what connections did the hijackers have to Saudi Arabia? Fifteen of the 19 were citizens of Saudi Arabia. Now, just bear with me for a moment, because I know that the, tr- the, the truth seekers out there will say, wait a minute, this is kind of a red herring, or this is not really what... I mean, th- 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 this is misinformation. And to a degree it is. Except, don't forget that... Um, Islam was weaponized back in the Second World War. Individuals were were used as not only as patsies but as as, as as agents of terror as well. So, to accomplish what happened on nine eleven, many different people, individuals, and groups were used. But 
did the U.S. government uncover evidence of Saudi ties to the attacks while the press and the prostitutes say it's unclear don't forget Bush chose it was Bush who chose to classify 28 pages of the the 28 pages refer to the congressional report the 9-11 commission report in 2002 joint report that includes information suggesting specific sources of foreign support for some of the 9-11 hijackers were in the United, or while they were here in the United States. The report notes that neither the FBI or the CIA were able to address the definite or the extent of each or of such support. It is my contention, based on the totality of evidence, that the FBI, but specifically the CIA, facilitated or was complicit at least the criminal cabal within the CIA was complicit in arranging that financial support. Now, Saudi Arabia has long been rumored to help finance the 9/11 attacks. We, we, you know, we have uh, we have talked with people who have read the 28 pages. Members of Congress, in fact, members of Congress can request permission to read the document in a secure location, soundproof room on Capitol Hill. They can't take any notes. They can't take any pictures of the document. They're under constant observation. That's that's our leaders. Now you can you can doggone well bet if I was a senator or if I was a member of Congress, I'd go in there and I'd give them what for. You, you, first of all, you ain't gonna tell me if I'm elected by the people and I report to the people. I'm giving this information to the people, and you ain't stopping me. So we're gonna have a scene of some kind here. One of us is going to get, one of us is going to get bloody, perhaps, or arrested, or both. But anyway, so who's read the report? Bob Graham, Florida. Uh, he used to be a senator from Florida. He said, "Look, Saudi government supported the attackers. Period. End of story." Thomas Massey from uh, Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. The, he said, and I quote: "The pages blew my mind." Okay, so wait a minute. You're going to keep this stuff a deep, dark secret? Release the release the pages, but go but do do more than that. And it, do more than it's that. Not, I don't think it's as much about releasing the pages as it is as much about the ability for U.S. citizens to sue foreign governments. And it's about the incestuous relationship between the Bush, Cheney, Cabal. That's right, conservatives. If you're a conservative and you believe George Bush was the best thing since sliced bread, then, then again, get your head out of your butt because they were in bed together, perhaps even literally, uh, if you know what I mean. The conspiracy theories are conspiracy fact. It uh, with respect to the Saudi involvement, but don't forget the Saudi involvement translates to the CIA involvement and the intelligence level involvement against the American people. It's a treasonous act, all for the occult ritual of mass sacrifice, as well as the almighty uh, Federal Reserve note. This after uh, more about this after the break, as well as other news tomorrow. Open lines, Wild Wednesday, Thursday. I'll let you know about that later Friday. Ted Brower comes back for a return visit. Yep. We'll be right back. Stay with us. This is the Global Star Radio Network. 
you make her look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. back ladies and gentlemen to hour number two of this tuesday edition of the hagman and hagman report we are going to be covering news and current events in this hour followed by stan deo in hour number three before we get back to our content we have a quick announcement yeah, for you. a couple of, a couple of housekeeping issues folks you know we have a great family of listeners please um i'd like to just ask everyone to pay attention here for a moment and uh and um well we have a listener who's requesting your much-needed prayers. This is for Donna, Donna L. It's actually not for, for Donna, but for her son. And she writes this, that, that, you know, she knows of no other program to ask prayers and blessings from. As listeners like Donna and people close to her know that our audience is special. <clears throat> I believe we are. I believe that that not we, Joe and I, and no one here in this room, but we believe you're special. You're listening. If you're listening to this, we believe you you are extremely special. And anyway, Donna asks. Donna writes that her son Andrew is growing through a very difficult situation right now, and would be extremely grateful for your prayers. Now, this is Donna's son, Andrew. Please pray for the situations he's going through. She's asking that, that you pray for his guidance and wisdom. He's going through a very trying time. I'm not going to get into the details. Just keep Andrew, the son of Donna, in your prayers that Andrew may or will make the right decisions, the correct decisions, will seek the face of God, will seek wise counsel and guidance. And Donna as well, 
will have the strength to carry Andrew through this very trying time. That's all. That's all we really need to know. And when I hit my knees tonight, Donna, I will be praying for both you and your son, Andrew. And while we're on our knees tonight, if if that's physically possible for us, for you, please pray for for each other, for other listeners. Please pray for the reactions or responses. Uh, the listeners as they go through challenges that will be on the rise the air has become dirtier the air above cities above homes above businesses has become dirty with with evil nefarious evil same thing Russ Dizdar speaks of it's on the rise the attacks are pointed the attacks are targeting Christians. The attacks are targeting people who are making a difference. So please, keep Donna and her son Andrew in your prayers, but also pray for your own and each other's serenity in the face of, in the, in the face of uh, upheaval. And you want to know something, too. We found something really great to help us when we're stressed and when we're overwhelmed. That's WholeTonesLive.com. And I, myself, have benefited greatly from WholeTonesLive.com. The DVDs, the CDs that they offer, I'm not even sure what to call them. After 8-tracks, I lost a track. Yeah, I got I got the idea of cassettes. But after that, anyway, Whole Tones Live, they offer such a great product. If you feel like you're stressed and overwhelmed and unmotivated, you can actually experience the scientifically proven powers of music therapy with WholeTonesLive.com. That's a collection of proven music therapy that can help reduce the stress, ease your mind, and even motivate you. Folks, the great part about this is you can get started today. Listen to a free sample of this amazing music that heals and inspires at WholeTonesLive.com. Now, let me just spell that for you. That's W-H-O-L-E, WholeTonesLive.com. We've got a lot of emails, one of which says that I started playing Whole Tones throughout my workday. And not only was I more creative and more motivated, but the work I was doing seemed easier and much clearer, and I found this to be true myself. That's my personal experience. We had Michael Terrell on our show. He explained how the music was inspired by the frequencies of King David. So, folks, go to the website. Go to WholeTonesLive.com. Download a free sample at WholeTonesLive.com and support this broadcast show and support us through your purchase of WholeTonesLive.com. You get something, a great product, WholeTonesLive.com. One more thing, too. I I, I got this. <laughs> oh, forgive us. Forgive me in advance for uh, uh, going here. Uh, but but uh, I, I, I thought this was somewhat, somewhat humorous. Um, you got to hear this. All right. Maybe, uh, my goodness, maybe I just, maybe I lost it here. Hang on just a second, because th- this was good. Um, did I, did I, did I lose it? Let me, let me just double check here. This was actually pretty funny. If you like, um, somewhat off color humor, 
Gary went to a, went to a, a uh, lives in San Francisco and went to one of these uh, adult shops, shall we say, to buy a um, you know one of those rubber blow up dolls. The guy behind the counter asked Gary, "Would you like a Muslim or a Christian one?" I know I'm going to get emails on this, okay? But I thought this was interesting. It's somewhat funny. Gary says, "Well, what's the difference?" And, and the guy behind the counter says, "Well, the Muslim doll blows itself up." All right, and, and I toned that down too, ladies and gentlemen. I did tone that down. Uh, one last thing, and uh, again, my apologies for that uh, off-color humor. But sometimes you just have to take a take a step away and understand that you know it is what it is um ron had written something here and this is something that we're seeing more and more and more of ron writes this you uh youtube and um our shows rick wiles steve quayle tom horn ron has noticed that the youtube is censoring content well, he writes that uh, Rick Wiles had said that YouTube is limiting their program to 15 minutes per day because of some sort of violation uh, uh, for content. Not, not, and I'm not talking about the copyright violation. I'm talking about content violation. Now we spoke about this on the 16th of of April that this was coming and this is here here's another even more personal situation we have AdSense on our various um, platforms or on our websites and that generates just really pennies you have to be a big dog to, to make a lot of money with respect to AdSense but it helps offset some of the more mundane, smaller fees that yeah. that we encounter. We get this big red ad violation notice or uh, violation notice in, in the in the uh, on ad, on AdSense. Co- warning: content violation. I don't know if you have that up there, but what it, what what this said, what this stated was: you, meaning us, we cannot offend the sensibilities of, of any class of people including and I'm I'm adding now especially Muslims because on on not, the 15th or Muslims. 16th well violent murderers right we can't tell the truth they don't want that because see we had posted an article it was I believe it was what the 15th or what date did that say because I would like to draw everyone's attention to that article and, and, and to hell with, with Google, to hell with AdSense. Uh, April 5th. Okay, April 5th. Of a woman who cut off the head, decapitated a child, and was pictured holding the child's head up. A young girl in her care. And it was a Muslim crime in Europe. In the UK, the, I think it was either the Mirror... I believe it was the Daily Mirror who ran the story, complete with the picture of the severed head being held up by the woman. And Google said, you can't do that. That's hate. 
Now, what is hate is the decapitation of that of that young girl by a Muslim. It was a Muslim Islamic crime. One might argue that the woman was insane, or was she possessed, or was she acting on behalf or acting um, under the color of her so-called cult slash religion? But the story, in addition to that. The story is, we will be censored. We will not be allowed to talk on YouTube or on even to on other venues outside of Global Star. We will not be able to to publish articles that paint Muslims in a bad light, even if it's true. We can we can damn the name of our Lord and Savior every every second of the day but if we drag Allah into it Muhammad into it we will be censored this is the beginning of, of the censorship process it's only going to get worse and it's going to be it's going to be like lightning like like a storm coming through your community it's going to hit everybody so please understand and, and the reason you know the reason I, I think this is important the story is important itself but the reaction to the story by Google, by the um, ad people saying that the content is objectionable is the story because this is the wave of the future and it's only going to get worse, folks. This is why we say we're a listener-supported show. This is why we're doing what we're doing. We're attempting to expand our, our platform and to, and to get bigger, stay ahead, stay one, two, three steps ahead of that that evil that, that that is nipping at our heels and attempting to take down our broadcast. Yes, take it down. Censor it. Make it so we can't talk about these things. I wish I wish I wish we would I would like not to have to even have a pop up or we don't have pop ups, but not to have any ad sense at all. I, I would like to get to the point where we had no commercial interruptions. But right now we can't do that. So until we can break free of that uh, bondage, um, you know we will we will watch this unfold. But it's getting worse and worse and worse. And keywords: if you have a website out there or a blog, let's say, or even on Facebook, ladies and gentlemen, maybe you've experienced this. If you write something something that's disparaging Muslims or disparaging homosexuality or the LGBT. Uh, agenda. You're going to be censored. Try it if you so desire. You watch how quickly you're going to be hit with uh, with either a uh, timeout, so to speak, or they'll just take your 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 revenue generating ability away from you if you have a website. Just I'm just saying, and it's coming soon. And don't forget, we took a stand last year against a company that was very vocal filed an amicus brief with the Supreme Court on the case of Obergefell, which was the uh, uh, Supreme Court opinion on homosexual marriage, homosexual sodomite marriage. And for that, we were, you know, we said, look, we're, we, we're not going to, we are not going to carry your your ads. And because of that, we had two other sponsors pull out, and we took a huge hit in terms of ad revenue, 
That's not to say, yay us, oh boy, aren't we great. No, what is the reason we're bringing this up is because this is the way the future is headed. I mean, this is the way things are, this is the way things are headed. This is why we are still developing and will roll out the Christian marketplace where it will be a Christian friendly environment to do business because without that, without sticking together, we don't have we don't stand much of a chance doing it individually. So that's more on that as the week unfolds. But uh, I thought that that was extremely important to talk about because it's if we are not able to talk about issues like homosexuality, like abortion, and explain... How, uh, explain how wrong these are and how sinful these acts are. Then we are being prohibited from witnessing to others. And not in a hateful way. This is not being done in a hateful way. This is just being done in, in, in a manner that I believe is, um, is consistent with biblical teaching. But having said that, please understand this is, and especially, and consider this, in a, in, a, in a situation of wartime, in a, in a situation of civil unrest here in domestically, or if you're listening to this, we'll say in the UK, or whatever country in Europe you're listening this, to, to this, and I know many countries in Europe have already, have already uh, Germany, for example, or uh, numerous other countries have said, no, you cannot talk about Muslims in a bad light. You can't call Islam a cult. It's coming to America. And Obama, by the way, was put in that position to ensure that this happens under his watch. And that time is running short. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this article caught my attention earlier today. And I want to talk about it a little bit. Federal researchers are building a massive online database of genomic data. A new online portal will let scientists access vast amounts of genomic data from patients involved in heart, lung, blood, and sleep research studies. The hub, called GenPort, is supposed to help researchers look into the results of several studies at once, tracking individuals and different trials who might share the same characteristics, known as synthetic cohorts. The Health and Human Service Department is currently looking for small businesses who can help build that hub. So even researchers are without informatics or genomics training can make practical use of data from cohort studies and other scientists have already that have already conducted. Genport software and tools will be open source, transportable, and freely shared according to HHS posting. The cloud-based resource also aims to let researchers vitalize and analyze that data. Now, what is that data? It is a data of DNA information. It's a database of DNA information, genetic uh, sequenced genetic data from about 20,000 people who are part of heart, lung, and blood sleep studies and other... Um, any other sources where the government has collected DNA um, materials before. You go into the hospital, your DNA is collected. Yeah, people who have been to prison or on probation have had their DNA collected and put in databases. Well, what they're trying to do is they're trying to build 
through HHS, what they are doing is they are building a one-stop shop for every where everyone's DNA profile that is in the system, in any system, will be part of a overall DNA hub. It's like the the <laughs> it's like the uh, uh, it'll be the the biggest DNA database to date. There you go. You're you're making good use of the the 3D printing icons. Click over to. Well, I, I didn't want to disturb you while you were doing it. So there you go. Looks good. And again, uh, thank you so much uh, um, to uh, to Todd R O. Thank you so much, Todd. Yeah, you said Todd R once, and then you said Todd O. Well, Todd R. Is ours is middle initial. Okay, but uh, I didn't want to give his last name out. I don't have his permission to do that. And um, in other news here, you remember last week we talked about Bruce Springsteen and PayPal. Uh, Bruce Springsteen backing out of a concert in North Carolina because of their uh, non-accommodations to LGBT laws of you know <coughs> the anti-transgender law. But now Pearl Jam is the latest band to bash NC over anti-transgender law. Pearl Jam, the latest musical act to cancel a show in North Carolina over the controversial state law that bans transgendered people from using the bathroom or locker room of their choice. The band released a statement on its website explaining why it canceled its Wednesday show in Raleigh. The HB2 law that was recently passed is a despicable piece of legislation that encourages discrimination against an entire group of American citizens, the statement reads. The practical implications are expansive, and its neg- negative impact upon basic human rights is profound. We want America to be a place where no one can be turned away from a business because of who they love or fired from their job or who they are. Well, see, I'm sorry, uh, um, this is so funny. Uh, there, there's yeah. a guy by the name of Joe Salads. I, I think it's Joe Salads who did a YouTube video about the transgendered bathrooms, actually dressed up as a... As a uh, um, Trans, not transgendered, but what do you call those people that uh, transvestite? Yeah, transvestite, I guess, or dressed up like a woman and, and claimed to be, you know, uh, relating to uh, the the female uh, personality or the female persona. And he, he did a, a video; it's several minutes long of him going into a woman's bathroom after or right behind. He was kind of like watching the women as they went in and then he'd follow men. He was obviously a guy dressed as a woman and when they would confront him he, he said, I'm, you know, I'm uh, in the process of becoming a woman and that what he was doing by the letter of the law was legal however it was met with extreme prejudice, shall we say by the by the women in there. I mean so the the you can see the government. This is the government initiative. Oh yeah, and these singers, social engineering bands, Pearl Jam, Bruce Springsteen. Yes, you know they're doing what we the people should be doing on a local, county, state, and national Except level. Reverse the uh, cause. Exactly, like the TSA stuff we talk about. That's right. If everybody would just not fly. Say, we're not going to fly until you take away the naked body scanners. Guess what? They'd take the naked body scanners away. 
Quickly. And they would take the TSA away Quickly. if we if we said we're not going to fly until you get rid of this Gestapo tyrannical jackbooted thuggery that's in the airports. Get them the hell out of the airports. We're not going to fly until you do. And don't fly. And, and I'm going to tell you something. Uh, the the airlines would comply to avoid bankruptcy. And if we all did that together, and I suggest that we should, you know what, folks, we should set a day or a week, and let's do this. I, I didn't plan this, but my spirit is telling me we should do this at some week, let's say several weeks out from now. Let's name that No Fly Week or No Comply Week. What Alex Jones and InfoWars did at one time, and it worked. But let's let's all of us do it. Can we do it, folks? Do we, What about the audience uh, reaction to this, uh, the studio audience? How are y'all feeling about this? Eric the Tech has just stood up and two thumbs up there. Uh, I mean, if... I mean, Can we do it? Can we do it? If all it takes is, a you know, Bruce Springsteen and, and Pearl Jam, you know, some no-name entertainers to back out of concerts in North Carolina to change laws, imagine how much effect you can have by... Uh, using your your purchasing power and taking your business elsewhere, well, in a, in mass effect to affect change. I, I will say this: if there's anywhere I can travel, and I don't want to travel. Anyone who knows me, I loathe traveling. I loathe traveling. <laughs> Eric knows. I'm just a peach to be around when I have to go somewhere, huh? Oh, that's fine. Oh, <laughs> go ahead, mic up, that's Eric. That's an understatement. I mean, it's like taking your grumpy old grandpa, he said. But but seriously, if we can get to anywhere where we need to be within eight hours, I would drive. Um, if If I can't get there in eight hours, I would question why I'd have to go and not go. Or... You know, humbly ask for someone with a private jet or private plane if I had really, if it was an emergency. Uh, but, but that said, we can make a difference. But I'm going to ask something you about a private jet. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it, I would you, humbly you ask. See, oh, you're going to ask. I, I would say, hey, man, you know, uh, I mean, if I really had to go somewhere and it really had to, I mean, it really had to be done. Um, but uh, you know, it, it, it's uh, this is. But we have to make the difference. I believe. So, what, folks? What do you think as an audience? Do you think we could pull this off, or do you think that it would be a big flat thud? Uh, can we call for and, and promote like a no-fly day or no-fly week or no-fly weekend or something to that effect? Very much what what like Infowars did. And in fact, I could even contact Infowars Alex Jones and see maybe we could do it together. But but could it be done? Do you think it would be done, or do you think we? You think it would be worthless? Eh, send us your comments, studio at hagmanandhagman dot com. Let's see what we can do about that. And um, just, just curious. Yeah. Uh, well, go ahead. Go I want to hit this piece of news. I don't know. Um, this isn't does not tie in with what you are about to talk about, but this ties into the uh, GOP convention in Cleveland in July. Campaign chief to vulnerables. Stay away from GOP convention. What does that mean? The chairman of the Senate Republican campaign arm is telling vulnerable colleagues in tough races to stay away from the GOP presidential convention this summer. Senator Roger Wicker, the National Republic, Republican Senatorial Committee chairman, 
warns that a fight between supporters of candidates Trump and Cruz at the contested convent, at a contested convention in Cleveland is the last place a vulnerable Republican is needed to be. If there's going to be a brouhaha, I'm advising candidates to be present for a more uni- for more unifying events. Even Senator John McCain told reporters on Tuesday that he's skipping the Republican National Convention for the first time in years. I have to campaign for re-election, and I've always done that when I'm up. The 2008 GOP nominee told reporters... They're scared. McCain was up for re-election in the Senate in 04 and in 1992, however, still found time to speak at the GOP convention in those years. He also spoke at the convention in 2012, 2096, 88, and 84. The senator acknowledged that it's possible the primary, the party's eventual standard bearer could drag down GOP candidates down ballots such as himself. That's always a concern, said McCain, who faces a potentially tough race this year against Democratic Representative Ann Kirkpatrick, but also worrying about an August 30th primary. GOP Senator Mark Kirk of Illinois and Kelly Aote of New Hampshire are also planning to skip the convention. Both face tough re-election races. Well, but it goes on to say, scared. Real scared. The fourth vulnerable Republican, Senator Rob Portman of Ohio, said he isn't sure he'll be at the convention, which is in his home state. Portman said he planned political events in Cleveland and as of now does not plan to participate in floor activities at the Quicken Loans Arena, though he might pop in if he has time. Um, and it, the article goes on from here. Um, just to say that the convention has a capacity of people going home with a poor taste in their mouth. We may have a nominee before the convention. I don't Monica know. Lewinsky or something. I don't, I don't <laughs> quite understand that, right? Well, I think what he's saying is the convention might not go as planned. And he's telling people, or at least, I, I don't know what he's trying to say. I don't know what a vulnerable you know something? I just realized what I said, and and I was not thinking about. I just realized what I said. I was responding to something that was about the vulnerability, and I apologize if that. I just realized. Wow. I must have missed it. I don't know. Okay. Well, if he did, that's fine. All right. Well, yeah. The 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 weaker uh, the the establishment candidates are afraid right now, and. um uh, they're they're afraid because they know that people are angry, and of course they have to say, well, you know, we if if you're vulnerable, let's let's just stay away. Uh, people already have, and and this goes to what you you know what, what you what you're saying. Um, there's a bad bad taste in a lot of people's mouths from what is taking place with with this on Wyoming, Colorado, all of this. So the vulnerability of those people who are on the edge in terms of um, winning the the more hotly contested races is evident. So that's kind of where where we're coming from. And now the establishment Republicans can see that, and, and they're, they're experiencing that. Now they're finally believing it. And again, this is the theater of politics. It's all theater. Now, um, all right. Michael Savage, and, and I've been on this program before, and, and Michael Savage is an interesting guy. He tell, does tell, tell it like it is, and he's, he's just, he, as far as I'm concerned, he's got some great radio. But he, he just came out 
here recently and said, unless Christianity receives some sort of new enthusiasm, it's got to sweep the Western world, and Christianity itself rises up against the forces against it, the entire West is going to collapse in your lifetime. This is Michael Savage saying this. There has never been a successful and long-lasting atheistic civilization, and there never will be. That's the opinion of many people, and it's also the belief of Michael Savage. And he issued this dire warning. Uh, this was last week now. I believe it was last Wednesday he was talking about this. And, and Savage has authored a lot of best-selling books. Um, he has the Savage Nation that radio program. But he's long warned that the West is imperiled by by uh, savages from without and is being savaged by militant secularist, secularist within. And think about this. We always talk about this. We are a captured operation. The enemy is already inside the gates. Michael Savage is acknowledging this and saying this is not a mere political problem, but this is a spiritual problem, and it lies, the, the remedy lies on the shoulders of Christians today. That's what Savage is saying. And I've seen, I've seen responses to that. As I watched this particular item grow legs and then kind of get back, you know, go back and then grow legs again, I, I've noticed some responses, and people are saying this, and, and I find this to be extremely uh, short-sighted. People say, <clears throat> A collapse will have to come in order for us to have a Christian revival. Now, folks, think about that statement. That's been the majority of the responses. Wherever this has been posted, this message by Michael Savage, people are saying, well, first you're going to have to have a collapse, and then the Christian revival will, will come as a result of that. My response to that, aside from being short-sighted, is how well did that work after 9-11? What, we came together for a couple of weeks, we filled the pews, we went through the motions, but did we follow through? Of course not. Did we did we repent for our sins? And you might say, well, why should we have done that? We were the ones that were attacked, yes. But have you considered, for example, the hedge of protection, the hand of protection by Almighty God was removed because of our sinful nature and because of our very hubris against the God that has protected us? Of course not. See, this is the mindset of the people and the politicians and even the Christians who sit in those pews. This is what we have to change. This mindset is what we have to change. We have to repent. And only after repent, repenting and changing our mind and changing the way we think and changing the way we operate, only then will there be a revival. One does not come before the other. A revival will not necessarily um, or a, a an event of uh, some catastrophic event is not um, going to cause or otherwise create a Christian revival. Now, what could happen is uh, a revival will take place with the remaining Christians, but not as a result of the event, but because of the uh, nature of the the remnant, shall we say. Having said that, very simply, Michael Savage uh, did state. And, and, and folks, we've talked about this before. It's, uh, it's plain that many, it's plain to many that the erosion of the West foundational faith is synonymous with the erosion of her foundation. Now think about that. What does that mean? America was built on Judeo-Christian moral precepts and principles. In fact, John Adams, the second president of the United States, 
issued a warning, in, and I've often quoted this, saying in 1970, or, yeah, 19, 1798, saying that our Constitution was built, was made for only a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. So, in other words, you could have a secularist, atheistic government in office, and that constitution is nothing more than a GD piece of paper. This, according to Bush, a so-called self-professed Christian, John Adams is saying, look, this country will not work, will not flourish without a moral and religious people. That said, we have neither in, in, in government. Adams warned about this. Now Michael Savage has taken to the airwaves and said, look, this country is not going to survive absent of any Christian revival. So what, what Savage is saying is the is the future of this country, and this is what Paul McGuire has been saying, Steve Quayle, Pastor David Langford, the future of this country rests upon the shoulders of the Christian remnant. Absent of that, and absent of the repentance and the prayers prior to an event, or toast. So He's right on the money there. Yep. Some preliminary results coming in. You can go to the top of the Dredge Report for the... Um, What's my over and under? I don't know. They have... Uh, it says New York exit polls. Clinton, 54%. Sanders, 46%. Trump, 61%. Kasich, 24 Cruz, 15%. We'll see uh, how how accurate that really is. Uh, so, so... No so, surprise there. So what... Though. So they say uh, Trump is 61%, Kasich has 24 Cruz has 15 You know, all Trump has to do is fall out of bed in New York, I yeah. mean, seriously, and, and he's yeah. got the vote, he's got the nominees. The uh, uh, Sanders, Sanders was in our town today, our city today, actually just a, a couple of hours ago. Trump was here last Friday, too. Well, I yes, yes. And... I, I I asked my wife uh, to to watch and I speaking of um, we we talked about that transgendered or the LGBT or whatever that transvestite uh, that video uh, Joe uh, Joe Salads was the guy that did the video he also did a video showing Trump supporters or uh, Trump and Sanders supporters and he was holding up a sign you know, for Trump. And he, you can search this on the internet. It was funny because, um, the vitriol by Sanders supporters against the Trump supporter, which was him holding up the Trump sign, was off the charts. I mean, he got, he got punched. He got a, a thing of water thrown on him, uh, from a car. He got flipped off numerous times. This is, uh, and I, and I would submit this is, this goes back, right back to what my contact uh, my intelligence source is, is telling us that this is all coming from uh, this orchestrated uh, sort of uh, riot or, or orchestrated uh, civil unrest that is going to be taking root in the summer, and I believe this to be the case. So think about that. I do believe that we're seeing this, and it's going to be at the hands of the socialists in this country, but blamed on the Bible-believing Christian uh, right moral and ethical Christian right. All right. This is an interesting article. Catastrophic. Up to 3,500 gallons of nuclear waste leak at Washington State storage site. 
thousands of gallons of radioactive waste are estimated to have leaked at a Manhattan Project-era nuclear storage tank in Washington State over the weekend, triggering an alarm and causing one former worker to label it catastrophic. The expanded leak was first detected after an alarm went off at the Hartford Nuclear Reservation on Sunday, and on Monday workers were preparing to pump the waste out of the troubled area, AP reported. They were also trying to determine why the leak became worse. It's unclear exactly how much waste spilled out, but estimates place the amount at somewhere between 3,000 and 3,500 gallons, according to the Tri-City Herald. There is no indication of waste leaking into the environment or risk to the public at this time, the Washington Department of uh, Ecology said in a statement. The problem occurred at the double-walled storage tank, which was leaking since 2011. At the time, the leak was extremely small, but the waste would dry up almost right after spilling out between the inner and outer walls. Now, sometime in March, um, this storage tank was pumping what was left into another tank, which originally held some 800,000 gallon, gallons. However, during the process, after the alarms at uh, Hanford went off, workers discovered the leak waste between the storage walls reached a depth of 8.4 inches pumping water or I'm sorry pumping work on the tank has been halted as officials reevaluate the simulation and figure how to get the leak radioactive waste back into the tank the department of energy called the leak anticipated in the ecology department said there was no danger to the public the former hand Hanford worker who was first discovered the leak had a different analysis this is catastrophic he told King Fies News this is probably probably the biggest of event to ever happen in tank from history. The double-shell tanks were supposed to be the saviors of all saviors to hold waste safely from people and the environment. Yet they failed to do so. I wish they would have listened when the leak started in 2011. Maybe none, none of this would have been happen, would be happening. It is an example of a culture at Hanford of we don't have problems here, we're doing just fine, which is a total lie. So I would keep your eyes and ears open uh, out there. That's definitely uh, 3,500 gallons of radioactive fuel from a Manhattan Project era site leaking up in Washington State. Interesting. Interesting indeed. And they also unveiled the... uh, Bale arches in London. Yeah, and, and and people need to really understand exactly the 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 scope of of this satanic um, process. The, the the bale arches. Now, some will say it's it it, it um, it's not directly to to to, to bale. I've heard different theories. I understand that. I I understand what is attempting, you know, what they're attempting to say. But regardless, it is satanic in nature. But go ahead, talk about that. Well, no, I just wanted to to mention that in London, they had a successful unveiling of the the Temple Archway. And uh, it is up, and it, it is there. Right. Yep. Yep. Also, another news, the Obama administration is unsure if Iran Iran spent $3 billion in new cash on terrorism. The Obama administration officials disclosed Tuesday that Iran has been granted access to about $3 billion in unfrozen assets in the months since the nuclear agreement was implemented, but it remains unclear as to the administration if the Islamic Republic had spent any of its money 
to fund its global terrorism enterprise, according to top officials. We don't know if Iran has spent the money on terror activities, State Department spokesman John Kirby told reporters. We don't know. We don't have a way to find out. This $3 billion is part of a much larger 50 to $55 billion in that Iran will receive from the U.S. and foreign governments in the coming months. Mm, and very interesting. the State Department is basically downplaying and protecting Iran and the money that they spent, um, making it seem like it's no big deal. Let's take a look at some economy news here, because I do believe that the economy, at least the information I'm getting, is going to play a role in what is coming. Um, if you just go to Steve Quayle's page, uh, uh, stevequayle.com, you can see the, the numerous uh, headlines that talk about the banking problems, people having trouble uh, taking money from banks, money that should be available to them, as little as $1,500, um, basic harassment of of bank customers it's it's taking place today um and, and if you look at, at some of the biggest banks in in history or in America right now there's this uh this move away from normal services and of course the deterioration of services and the inability of people to for example take out money the cash money that's that belongs to them and, and many people don't understand and this is so important to understand that we are merely um when we deposit money into a bank we're merely creditors of that bank in other words they have our money they owe us that money they don't have to pay us that money no longer is it our money so to take to take a bigger look or uh, to look at the big picture and to, to see the success of headlines over the last several years, we are seeing this orchestrated and systematic push by the government toward civil war, which we had talked about. And this is all coming together, I do believe, along with the lockdown of America here in the near term. And when I say near term, I do believe that the elections or that the uh, Republican uh, committee uh, convention and the Democratic convention both have things to do with this. Um, but if if you use, for example, the economic uh, flashpoints and take a look at what's taking place with the banks, you can see right now we are being pushed very, very decisively into a divisive position, the haves versus the have-nots. Class warfare is raging and will continue to target Americans that include Christians and, of course, veterans, constitutionalists, preppers, survivalists, uh, anyone that the government deems to be extremists, and even more, this uh, they, the government is stating that we are more dangerous than the terrorist groups. We are domestic terrorists as opposed to the Islamic terrorists, and we are much more dangerous. So the enemy is us. The lockdown is starting. The uh, economic collapse is now being orchestrated. Will it happen all at once? I don't know, but certainly it's incremental. And the government has put together a, a, a whole litany of mechanisms in order to confiscate your money, which many, I mean, it, it's well documented. Um, and few depositors realize this, folks, that legally the bank owns your money. Okay, As soon as you put it in the bank, they own it. Our money, your money becomes the bank's. Now, that doesn't it's not really a big problem when, when none of us have a whole lot of money to worry about. Uh, 
except when that's your last 20 or 40 bucks and the bank won't give it to you, then you have a problem, especially if you haven't made plans for it. But under the FDIC plan right now, uh, if a bank collapses, basically you will receive an IOU and that's bank equity, basically, in, in bank equity. And then if our IOUs that we get, if that's converted into bank stock, it's no longer subject to insurance protection and therefore the FDIC is a non-issue. But the FDIC is already a non-issue because it's bankrupt anyway or can't cover the potential losses. So how many, how many of your friends and family members know what's taking place? That the government put laws in place that allows banks to simply take your money if they fail. Just as I described. Um, how many of them know about the legal mechanisms that have been put in place to, conf- to, to confiscate your money and my money? Um, now, uh, the FDIC, and this is, a, this is very important. I'm not, not too many people had, uh, had, uh, mentioned this. Back last week, the, the, I'm sorry, the Federal Reserve, not the FDIC, the Federal Reserve re- re- released a 19-page letter um, that uh, that it and the FDAI, FDIC chair and CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, which identified a deficiency in J.P. Morgan's wind-down plan that could, in their words, pose a serious adverse effects to the financial stability of the United States. What they're saying here, folks, and I said that very quickly, this references a Zero Hedge article, which references an article, or which references the 19-page letter from, uh, I believe it was posted on WallStreetParade.com, stating this, that uh, um, the federal regulars, regulators basically have said that J.P. Morgan's on the ropes, and they could pose a threat to its shareholders in Wall Street and really the entirety of the of, of the of the uh, Western market. And uh, J.P. Morgan is a potential threat to the financial stability of the United States. So the Fed is declaring or has declared that J.P. Morgan is a threat to the financial stability of the United States. The reason that this is important is because of the vast holdings, the the the, the wealth of J.P. Morgan, and don't forget uh, Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan and the history of J.P. Morgan as well. You're seeing musical chairs here. What's happening is we're all playing a game of musical chairs. And there's only so many chairs. And the music is going to stop, and somebody's going to be without a chair. And that process is going to continue incrementally until there's only one chair and uh, one person seated. And that person basically represents the criminal cabal, the um, you know who who comes out on top in terms of the globalists. Now, um, so that's kind of I, I just wanted to bring that to the to to, to the. Uh, to the forefront. The reason being, when you take a look at the, for example, Chinese, they're stockpiling silver. Have you seen that? Have you seen the massive amounts of silver that the Chinese are, are stockpiling? Chinese just released a new gold-backed currency today. Yep, yep, I know. Which, yes, that's important as well. And I don't have um, a good piece of news on this, and we are running up at the top of the hour. Uh, definitely tomorrow, in the first hour, I will make sure I have a... Um, detailed report that we can uh, go off of, but the there is a new well, yeah they rolled out their yuan gold uh, uh, yeah uh, it's a new gold back currency yeah 
Yeah. That will turn the U.S. dollar away from being the world reserve currency and will send us into a hyperinflation yes. nightmare. And they, and folks, the, uh, China released this Yuan gold fix Friday, I believe it was. And, and what, what, what happened to the precious metals? You have to take a look at what, how, how the metals market they responded went to that. Silver, silver was up 5%. Silver's trading, was trading at $17 at one point. Uh, a, a price that was not seen in over a year. And many people think, for example, and, and I, I've heard from many people who have purchased silver and gold, silver when it was $40 an ounce and saying now it's, it's in the teens and I got ripped off. No, it's a storage of your wealth. It's reflective of the, uh, of, of the, uh, um, I mean, it, 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 it's a hedge against the inflation. Now, when it's down like this, of course, it doesn't make any sense because everything's being gamed and manipulated, but the fact of the matter is, when things do happen and when everything hits the fan, you're going to be further ahead than had you not had that gold or silver. But take a look at the COMEX silver inventories. They've been declining uh, consistently. They, they were, in fact, there was a peak of 184 million ounces in July of 2015. Uh, you got 154 million ounces today, the silver stocks at the Shanghai Futures Exchange have been doing the exact opposite in a big way. Take a look at a chart of the Shanghai Futures Exchange silver stocks, meaning that uh, uh, the exact opposite, meaning the um, uh, inventories bottomed out on August 25th, of, uh, 2015 at uh, 223, or I'm sorry, 233 metric tons. Very interesting number, I should say. Uh, however, silver inventories at the same exchange began to really pick up in 2016 and surged uh, unbelievably over the last couple of months. So all this, all that to say this, watch silver. China is, is increasing their, their holdings on silver, physical possession of silver, and that's indicative of the metals market, I believe, in a larger sense with the, with the release of the uh, Chinese yuan gold fix last Friday. We are seeing a perfect storm, especially against the attack on the U.S. dollar. That's that's what we're taking a look at. Or that's what we're seeing right now. And this will play into, because things do take time, I do believe that we will see incrementally into the summer the loss of the purchasing power and, of course, the ability or the uh, petrodollar as the summer, as we get into summer and even early fall. And I think this, this fall is going to be extremely volatile with respect to the U.S. dollar. I think you're right. With that, we have Stan Dale coming up next. Stay with us for our third and final hour as we will be joined by Stan Dale, or with Stan Dale from standale.com. Go on his website on the right-hand side of the microphone, click show images to see what he'll be talking about this week. Stay with us. This is the Global Star. Never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, exposed 
exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond, you may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by blood. edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. If it's Tuesday, it's Tuesdays with Stan. Stan Deozar is a very special guest tonight. Can't wait to uh, hear what he's got to say before we get back into it. I want to thank everyone who has sent emails with respect to our proposition. Can we pull off a no-fly week or a no-fly day or, you know, some sort of um, uh, protest that we saw InfoWars do some time ago, and, and we participated in that where, uh, I think it was over Thanksgiving weekend, where we just said, no, we're not going to fly because of the oppressive tyranny of the TSA, the ridiculous nature that we are subjected to their their tyranny. Can we do that? And I want to thank everyone for chiming in via email. Just go to hagmanhagman.com, click on the Contact Us form, and uh, share your thoughts because perhaps we can make a difference. But I'm kind of testing the waters here. Uh, asking you folks, the listeners out there, if we can pull this off, if we can be successful at it, because otherwise it could be, you know, certainly used against us, and they can say, oh, my goodness, these people are weird, and, you know, uh, not that I'm afraid of that, but uh, certainly we, we want to be as successful as possible. So your ideas welcome, studio at Hagman and Hagman.com. With us, of course, is Stan Dale, and uh, don't let him fool you. He's got... He had accurately predicted an earthquake through data research and evaluation. We're going to let uh, let Stan yeah. talk to you about that. And uh, Stan, welcome back to the Hagman and Hagman Report. Go to standeo.com, people. Click on the show images link to the right-hand side of the microphone on the right-hand side of the website. It's great to have you back this week. It's been a, an eventful week, at least in the, uh, the earth-shaking realm. Yeah, it has, guys. Um, it started out uh, with uh, oh, a couple of Richter sixes, uh, a little bit above Richter sixes, and you know, um, uh, kind of the well, what was it? It was in the uh, states of uh, Afghanistan and Vanuatu and Burma. Burma had almost a seven and six point nine, but in the middle of the one in Vanuatu, just after that occurred, and the Afghanistan one. They got a surprise in the southernmost island of the Japanese islands, main island anyway, at Kyushu. And uh, they got this 6.2, uh, I think it was. The first earthquake was 6.2, but it was a very powerful one. Um, it uh, is an area that doesn't normally see earthquakes. So we pay attention to earthquakes that arrive on the scene, especially when it's close to a, a tectonic plate border, which that one is, or was. And um, there were a number of aftershocks in a couple of days past. 
fast, and then bang, you know, they got a 7.0, a bigger earthquake there within a few miles, you know, before the first one hit uh, on Friday. So I started looking at it, so a lot of other people trying to figure out what was going on, because this was not only an earthquake of that magnitude in Japan in a place that it doesn't normally occur, but it was the third in a series of Richter 6 Plus that occurred within a, less than a week. And it went on after that. Uh, we saw one, uh, you know, we saw the 6.7 in Vanuatu. Um, and there were two of those, you know, almost back to back. And then uh, Ecuador had a 7.8, which is a real, you know, bone jarring earthquake. And there were a number of after aftershocks, um, re you know, related to several of these big quakes. Now, on the website, uh, in the show images page, uh, on the um, uh, second row on the right hand side, I have. Um, uh, if you click on that, I have a, uh, a thing I created on USGS showing where these big earthquakes occurred and some of the smaller aftershocks in the last two weeks. And uh, on the left of that image, you'll see um, the earthquakes in order by magnitude. And, of course, the date is given underneath each of those. And then on the map, you see the um, the yellow dots and the orange dots are the most current, and the white ones are you know back toward the the end of the two week period uh, and between seven and fourteen days back. Now, what we see from this is the continuing um, increase in larger quakes on the western side of the Ring of Fire. Now, this has got the scientists. Um, kind of concerned about this. Uh, there are some that are predicting four richer, uh, richer eight earthquakes uh, if the current conditions in the, the Ring of Fire persist. Now, four Richter eights in a year is definitely above the average of one or two that we normally get. So they're, they're kind of making a very bold prediction scientifically that this might be happening. Um, the uh, Japanese scientists are also concerned that it might be... Uh, uh, explaining uh, the arrival of a new fault line that uh, is running parallel to the tectonic plate border, which is not in itself unusual because that occurs over in California, and, you know, and, and uh, parallel faults, all kinds of them, uh, parallel to the uh, San Andreas fault. But anyway, they they are looking at this, trying to figure out if there are going to be more faults and more earthquakes as they move north. Well, I've been working on something I. I, uh, I'm not ready to release it yet. I'm still testing it, but I thought I found a way to get back into forecasting some of the major quakes. Now, when I say major, uh, a Richter 6 or better, the, the smaller quakes don't show on the data I'm, I'm testing at the moment. They're just It's just too subtle uh, a, uh, an image change, and it's hard for me to pull it up to, to see accurately. But uh, as, as uh, Doug and Joe were saying, uh, I... Um, I was playing with this on Thursday and Friday, and I came up with a little um, signal at, at Kyushu, uh, which is, of course, where the Richter 6.2 hit on Friday. And I thought, well, that, that looks like there could be an earthquake there. It's an unusual one. Uh, you know, I'll make a note of that and see how it goes. Well, sure enough, 6.2. So I did a the next day's analysis on that data and to see if there was any more happening in Japan. Well, sure enough, it showed that the the pressure for the next big earthquake there was moving to the north side of Kyushu Island and up you know, in a line uh, parallel to the plate tectonic border, which does indicate that Kyushu Island is uh, being kind of divided by this new fault line. Now, whether it will split the, the island in half or not, as some people are saying, I don't know, but it certainly 
does indicate the presence of a new weakness in the crust and a fracture zone, um, which is partially connected to some of the known fault lines underneath the island, according to the Japanese data. Now, okay, that's fine. I thought, well, that's pretty serious. Uh, a lot of people have been hurt. Homes have been hurt. People are scared. Now, what's up the line? What's up toward, let's say, Fukushima, where all the damaged nuclear reactors are? Fortunately, these earthquakes down on Kyushu weren't uh, close enough to a, a uh, an energy plant, a nuclear energy plant there, to worry about it damaging it uh, like Fukushima. But when I looked north, I found something that was, well, uh, you know, if, if the routine is working correctly, it shows a buildup of pressure between the plate tectonic border off the coast of uh, Fukushima there, and between that and the Fukushima uh, reactors. Now, if that goes off, that could be some, some serious business. Now, it hasn't reacted yet, which I would expect it to do if it was a, a, following the rest of the predictors I've been using. It's drug on, and uh, I would have thought that we'd have seen um, action by now on what I saw there. However, not to be. Um, I haven't put this up on the website yet, as I say, because I'm still testing it, but to give you an idea, uh, Kyushu Island, uh, the, the the signals I got on that would have been like about, oh, let's say uh, one-tenth, one-fifteenth the size of Kyushu Island. The signal I'm getting off of the Fukushima coast is about 25% bigger than the whole island of Fukushima. That's how big the signal is. So I see other signals like this. Thermal anomalies going out to sea, and they're not near the fault line. But to have that kind of a sea surface temperature anomaly over the fault line is concerning. So let's keep an eye. I'll, I'll probably post this up on the site. I've been toying with whether or not to do it because it's still not, in my opinion, a, a reliable predictor. And and see what happens up off the coast of Fukushima. Can can you imagine an aftershock of that one they had in 2011? Um, you know, maybe a 7.9, an 8, something like that occurring there in the same place. Is it is it going to release more polluted water or what? I don't know. So anyway, well, that's, that's, really, that's my current state. That would really ruin study. your day, you know. And I'm sure it would <laughs> release a lot more uh, radioactive water and particles into the Pacific Ocean if that were to happen. Yeah, well, right I, I can't see why it wouldn't. I mean, it's just, you know... Think about it. I mean, you know, it's just not, it's not going to hit there and not release something back into the ocean there. And these poor people, I'll tell you what, they, they're certainly being <laughs> tested with all this stuff. Yes, anyway. They, yes, they are. Yeah. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll just, uh, while we're talking here, uh, I'll probably fade off occasionally, but what I'm doing is, uh, putting that image of what I was just talking about up on the site for the show here so people can look at it. And uh, I'm doing that as we speak. Um, yeah. Um, and but there were several other things that I looked at this week. Um, a rather interesting one is the first picture I've got of uh, Prince uh, Mohammed bin Salman that we've talked about as one of the possible Antichrist candidates at, without his um, turban on or, you know, uh, with, with just uh, normal hair and stuff like a normal person in an in a interview he was doing the other day. And look at that guy and understand that you may be looking at the Antichrist. Here's a guy that's 31 years old. He's 
deputy crown prince, his uh, cousin, I think it is, uh, is uh, Mohammed bin Nayef, N-A-Y-E-F. So around the palace, they call uh, the crown prince, which is one rank above Solomon, they call him M-B-N for Mohammed bin Nayef. And they call Solomon uh, M-B-S for... More BS, no, uh, for uh, <laughs> Mohammed bin Salman. And uh, it, I keep getting back to the fact that he's gaining so much support in the Middle East from at least 39 other, uh, th- sorry, 39 total uh, Arab countries that are primarily Islamic in forming a new Arabic Union, you know, which is what um, oh, the uh, Al Nusra Front want as a, in opposition to ISIS. They wanted to have. Uh, a consolidation or a confederation of Arab nations to form an Arab bloc, but not make them under one caliph uh, or a caliphate like ISIS wants. And, you know, Salman wants to get rid of the caliphate uh, clowns too. But I think in the end, if he is the Antichrist, he's going to go ahead and, and become the caliph or the king of a, of a of a union of Arabic states. So you'd have MBS is heading the Arabic Union. MBS 3 consonants, Arabic Union, AU, two vowels. Put the two vowels in between the MBS, M-A-B-U-S, Mabus, Mabus, whatever. And it starts to fit. And he is just so popular that if he goes for, you know, ruler of the world eventually in some set of circumstances, he won't have time to just manage uh, Saudi Arabia and Aramco and that. So what are they doing at the moment? They're offering to sell off half of Aramco. He's happy to let his cousin, uh, Mohammed bin Naif, become the new king when King Solomon dies. He can run Saudi Arabia while MBS is running the world. You see, it all works out. He could be the prince of the covenant, even though he has more power than the, the king of Saudi Arabia. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I watch him because, I mean, he said that he could uh, ramp up, I think, by the end of the year. He could, do it, and even before then, he, he threatens to do it. He could add another million barrels of oil production to the Saudi input to, to the OPEC um, per day, which would mean another 365 million barrels of oil a year. He could flood the market with if he wanted to and drive the price of oil down, of course, creating chaos across the world economy. Uh, and he may well do it. Uh, this would be a, a tremendous financial weapon, which would bring a lot of the countries of the world and the West uh, to heel if they want to, to keep the economy going. So he's got a tremendous weapon there, and he's setting himself up as a, uh, a military, political, economic, easy trained as an attorney, uh, and a legalistic uh, Muslim Arab. And he's just winning the popular uh, opinion. They don't vote him in, but he's winning the popular opinion of the 30-ish age group, young people in his country and other Arab countries. Uh, in fact, I think he's probably the most popular, most favorite uh, personality in the ruling families of the Middle East. And the fact that, the fact that Saudi Arabia, most of it, is sitting on top of what was Atlantis originally, got to make you wonder if some of the genes didn't seep out of the sand and get a hold of the Saud family, and then we've got a uh, new Atlantis forming under them. But I'm just being silly, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, actually, I'm not so sure that, that that's really all that silly, considering the um, 
the implications. Well, I mean, lo- looking at the bigger picture here, and, and of course Atlantis and the significance of Atlantis and the writings of Plato and and it, 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 how it figures into the um, bigger picture. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, well, very hmm. good. Um, I'm going to talk some more on that Atlantis business here. Something that perhaps um, I don't think I've mentioned on the air with anybody, uh, but uh, we'll do it here. Um, it really wasn't important uh, what, I, what I'm going to harp on here until I discovered that uh, the Arabian Peninsula is Atlantis. And once, once I had that, uh, uh, you know, pegged, then what I'm going to tell you makes more sense. <clears throat> you know, I, I used to work for a group. Oh, by the way, look on the show images page. That earthquake uh, thing, the model I was using to predict, is there with some yellow circles around uh, Kyushu and. Fukushima. <clears throat> anyway, the in the early 70s when I was recruited to go down with Dr. Teller's group and to research advanced uh, flying saucers and that kind of stuff, anti-gravity, um, one of the, the sites I was told about that we the organization had <clears throat> was the most secure site in the world other than those under the, the ocean. And this site was in the empty quarter of the Rub Arub Kali, uh, in the southern part of the Arabian Peninsula. Now, it's 120 miles outside Riyadh in the Jabal Tuwek mountain range. And if you look at that on Google Earth, and then look at anywhere else in Saudi Arabia, Google Earth, or the rest of Saudi Arabia, the images are nice and crisp when you zoom down to the ground. In that area, there's a rectangular set all along the Jabal Tuwek, which is highly pixelated. In other words, very low resolution, so you can't see what's on the ground there. Well, our base there, where they they had uh, assembly areas for the smaller uh, flying saucer craft and probably aliens as well, or, you know, fallen ones, in that area there, if you came within sight of that base heading toward it by air or by land and you weren't one of our craft, you you were shot down and killed immediately. There was no questions asked. Didn't ask for credentials or anything. If you didn't come in in the approved way, uh, then they didn't even let you get to the gate. And it's hidden in the side of a mountain there at uh, Jabal Tuwek. Now that site is right, kind of almost in the middle of what was ancient Atlantis. And you gotta wonder if that site that we had then was working with the return of the. Sumerian supermen, you know, that uh, Linda Moltenhouse spoke of. She heard the, the general saying in, in, in the Pentagon that the the Sumerian gods, little g, had returned. And, you know, that's, that was going back after I was uh, uh, even in the, in the program, so it was much more recent than, than being in the program. So I think that the fact that they've uh, blocked out that area in the Jabal Tuwek in fact, anyway, if you if you got Google Earth, you can go and you put up one of those little uh, rulers they have there. You can put one dot in Riyadh, right in the center of it, and make a circle 120 miles in the, in, the, in radius. So that would be like 240 mile um, diameter. And where that circle crosses the Jabal Tuwek south of Riyadh is where the base is, and you you'll be led into a secret about where one of our very very secret bases was and, and may still be. Uh, in fact, the, the reason that we were able to even put it there in such a remote place in Saudi Arabia was that there was a sheikh who'd been up to some naughtiness and uh, uh, he was blackmailed into 
letting us have that uh, access in his territory and stuff. Otherwise, it would be known to the ruling family what he'd done, and that would be a you know a bad deal for him. Anyway, it was a very long personal story with him, and, and that's how we got that base. The things you don't know, uh, but that that area is very important. And the, uh, I looked at the name uh, in Arabic for um, the, the empty quarter. Normally, we say Rub al Kali, you know, like that, but it's Arub al Kali. And it's Arab, ancient Arab, uh, the Kali. Uh, and they, they say that means the empty quarter, but it's also a derivative of the name Arab or Arab. And I think this Arabic union that uh, Prince Solomon is putting together is certainly going to succeed, and it's an effort to unify the Arabs of the world, the countries, into a new, strong power uh, block in the world. And the way it's headed, I think they're going to make it. Uh, and another thing, since he does not like ISIS, they're a small people, they're not a country. And we know the Antichrist is going to come to power with the help of a small people. And I'm wondering if by defeating them, or, or either by defeating them or by getting them to change their objectives and join him as a small people, the world will rejoice if he puts a stop to ISIS and the terrorism. And the, the, the terrorists who, who want this... Uh, uh, Arab Caliphate will join with him and be tickled to death to serve with him. Um, you know, it's a rising star; they'll join with him. So it might be that he uses the the, the ISIS type terrorists and the, you know Al Nusra and some of those who are the opposite to ISIS, but still terrorists, to form this world government eventually. I don't know how the Pope is going to fit into this, but he's certainly helping by calling for a world religion. Indeed. Any uh, any compromise of uh, of Christian principles or, or, or biblical principles, I shouldn't say Christian, but biblical principles, to me, um, yeah, that, that's a quickest route toward a one world religion. Obviously, and, and Stan, just a recap with respect to the religion. Well, the, the three monotheistic religions. It's my belief that. The, the the Christianity, Judaism, and Islam will have to be um, made illegal, well, or at least marginalized, diluted, to accept the um, uh, a, a, a common savior, if you will, or a common god. Is that what what you believe as well? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. There's going to have to be compromise to form this global religion, and that's what the Pope is pushing for. Lord only knows what that compromise means. I guess one of the obvious things would be, well, um, you know, uh, God is God to the Jewish community, uh, God is God to the Christian community, and a lot of, you know, subsects of that, and um, Allah is the same God, and that's that's the lie they're going to put across. That's and, and one basic yeah. Exactly. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but it, it amazes me, too, the influence of people like Oprah Winfrey and some of the celebrities and some of the uh, mega or pastors of the mega churches here in the United States and even others across the U.K. and in Europe uh, through their individual movements have really played their roles very well to, to set the stage and, and fertile the ground for this um this one world religion which as you said has to has to take place in order for the antichrist to, to take over you know it's not just this pope it's the vatican i remember 1978 holding a pamphlet in my hand a color pamphlet down in australia 
uh, telling the meeting place for the association to form a global uh, religious uh, equality in the planet. And it was run by the Vatican then. And every year they've been having meetings. I think they have a website and stuff like that. Um, so it's been an ongoing situation, no matter what Pope was in, in the uh, the chair at the time. Um, yeah, it's it's a long game they're playing. It, it runs across generations, not just across decades. True. Yeah. Hey, so, you, so see that, where, yeah. Um, Go ahead. you see Sorry. where North Korea is asking for uh, you know outside help because they've got Mount Peik, Peik Two, I think it's called, uh, on the border between North Korea and China. It looks like it's about to erupt and and, and really be a big problem to them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sad. Well, good luck. <laughs> the sad yeah. thing is probably the, the North Korean people themselves are just really quite normal people, but uh, their leadership is. They're crazy. They're just really crazy. <laughs> That's an understatement. Do you see, Stan, speaking about North Korea, what's your assessment of their nuclear program, which, you're, which you've been able to to um, analyze, research, analyze, and, and uh, verify on your own? Uh, do they have miniaturized nuclear devices? Do they have the capability of launching them? Do they is is North Korea a threat? I guess, and if so, yeah, how I bad? think uh, to a degree they are. They're more like the wild card in the pack that uh, China or Russia might use to um, trigger uh, a confrontation on a larger scale between the United States, Israel, and Russia and China, and various associated allies. Um, they could supply Russia and China. Uh, Pakistan, somebody could supply uh, the North Koreans with what they need as far as delivery systems, like the S-300 or something like that, or and or the type of nuclear device that they need. Uh, and they could launch it. Uh, they could launch it off the deck of a merchant ship off the coast of New York, you know, in international waters, and it could uh, make an EMP uh, or a direct meltdown of New York, but either one. They could do it before we could stop it. Some of these things people don't realize. You can just mount it on the deck of a ship, a cargo ship. The container door on the top cargo uh, container opens up, and out comes the nose of the missile, and poof, it's it's headed for New York at you know it's almost at sea level. Uh, you can't stop it. It would come in, and it would either detonate over the New York area or Washington, or it would go up into the atmosphere like we know, up 150, 200 miles, and detonate there and make an electromagnetic pulse that would absolutely destroy all of our digital you know, electronic systems that weren't hardened, uh, leaving only some military systems and some fortunate systems that were placed offline somewhere and shielded working. Now, that would do so, more damage than an atomic bomb. R- right, and, and we've got no... No way to track, for example, and I'm just, I'm trying to really simplify this in my own mind. Let's say, uh, North Korea, you know, the, the guy really goes fully off his nut, loads up some sort of missile uh, on a container ship, sends it off to the United States. There's no surveillance, um, ability of the United States or any Western country then to track, uh, the movement of a, of a um, nuclear type of weapon, or is there? Oh, you mean like uh, before they even open the doors on the ship? Yeah. Um, I don't know. If we, if we do have something that good, I don't think they'd make it public. Uh, yeah. The, uh, I mean, we have uh, detectors. If you get reasonably close to a, a concentrated radiation source, you, you can uh, peg it. But um, if it's in the international waters and traveling, then you're looking at either a submarine comes up underneath it and does a check, 
you know, or puts a little cork floating out there with a detector on it, or somehow they've maybe they've managed a way to measure electron density around that ship from orbit. Uh, they do have things that do total electron counts, things like that, and it might be that they can read the ionization uh, around that uh, and deviation from the background norm that they might be able to track it. Um, oh. let, let's hope so, but, you know, I don't know. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was just something I was thinking about, but uh, so what you're saying is, yeah, North Korea is indeed a threat, and uh, they, they do have the materials, and certainly they could be aided by other countries and be used as a proxy, and we should be taking a look at this and, and taking it seriously. Yeah, and certainly on our, our West Coast, too, with the quake threat, um, we have our own reactors there, some of them sitting on, uh, even one retired one, I think, is sitting on an old fault line. Uh, there's just been a lot of stuff pushed at the public about uh, the big one will come. It's definitely going to come. I'm not sure when, but it, it uh, not if, but it will come. Um, and, you know, hints to prepare and, and how to survive a tsunami going inland in Oregon or something, you know, how far up the valley you got to get. And, okay, we remember a few years back here, a couple years back when FEMA ordered a bunch of, you know, meals to feed, feed a million people for two or three days. And you start putting these things together with all these quakes happening on the west side that are bigger now in this little cluster. And you start to wonder, is it soon that the big one's going to happen? And is the big one going to be a big earthquake, or is it going to be Yellowstone, or is it going to be both, or is it going to be New Madrid, or is it going to be all three? Because the FEMA preparation was to feed those people over in the New Madrid region, region, and people immediately assumed, ah, for a New Madrid quake. But it might be for people escaping from clouds of ash from Yellowstone. It might be from people escaping through the mountains of California over into the interior, and looking for some place to live, eat, stay, or whatever, when the earthquakes start breaking up the West into islands. Um, I'm looking. I mean, I'm keeping an eye on the West Coast as best I can with this kind of crude new method to, to forecast the quakes. And if uh, Tim Berkman is correct in his assumption on the quakes being triggered by, say, full moon, um, you know, and, and moon at Terra, at its perihelion, well, not perihelion, it's a perigee for Earth, closest point to Earth. That might occur, you know, next month. Um, oh, let's see, I think, what, second week, first or second week of May, I think. I'm, I'm just trying to remember. I looked at it the other day. Um, and let me just check on it here. Uh, yeah, new moon will be on the 6th of May on a Friday. Um, and so I'm going to be looking the first week of, of May very closely at uh, what the earthquake signals are along our west coast and up in, particularly up in the northwest to see if we're getting any indication if we are and we go into that uh, perigee of the moon. Uh, you know, I tell people to be very prepared as best you can for an earthquake and tsunami after that. So I, I shouldn't... Uh... I shouldn't uh, plan on any uh, vacations to the West Coast beaches Friday, May 6th, uh, based on... <laughs> yep, cancel our, yeah, cancel our extravagant beach vacation. As long well, as people understand what we're saying, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, you know, because we right. don't know for sure. It's We're just trying to, to guess as best we can. Well, yeah. the confluence of events. I, I mean, looking at it, uh, 
you know, it, it, it's always good to be prepared, folks. And, and it's, uh, yeah, tongue in cheek indeed. But, but, uh, uh, my goodness, you know, let's look at let's look at this realistically and have an intelligent discussion about it. And that's what we're doing. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, all right. It, it, mm. It's no time to do, you know, panic preparation stuff. It's time to, if you haven't already started doing it, to prepare for various types of uh, meteorological or geological or even astronomical events that could affect, you know, your power in your area and your water and food supply and stuff like that. Right. Indeed. Okay. Anyway, yeah, that's that's that. Um the uh, uh, I was reading in the in the news here that uh, I'll just read you the headline. Um mystery body possession epidemic sweeps through Malaysian schools causing teachers and pupils to collapse while being pinned down by evil spirits. I now, saw that. Did you? Okay. Now that uh, mm-hmm. is is that meaning that the the veil between our worlds is thinning and they're starting to poke through more easily? Very it's a very real possibility. Um I was wondering what what could be uh the cause of this. You know, in, in recent weeks I've seen headlines like exorcisms uh, continuing to rise, demonic possession, you know, on the rise as well. Um but to see this in a in a localized area uh so pronounced here it it is mind boggling and I, you know um, what, well, you what know, do you make of it well i i think it's quite possible especially to be that widespread of like a you know, hundred different cases being reported they they say that something pinned pinned them down as a heavy thing on them uh you know holding them down to the ground my eldest boy well yeah no he's the third boy in the in the chain uh, nathan when he was young, uh, his bedroom just down the hallway from us, and um, he woke up a couple of nights uh, screaming and, and fighting something, and uh, it was this dark being. He said, like, <clears throat> he could see it up on the wall and then down on his chest, and it was fighting with him, and it was heavy on his chest. And, you know, it was pretty much a great concern to us, but he, as he got older, it didn't happen anymore, but he was fighting off something that... Uh, we prayed about and uh, shielded him about even back then and that would have been gosh in the um, oh, 80s mid 80s I think somewhere in there early 80s let's see what's that, what's that, what's that, yeah probably the uh, mid to late 80s 1980s but uh, having done that and, and had it happen in the family I, I can certainly relate to what these people are talking about any yeah. relation to sleep paralysis I mean what your son went through um, no, I don't think that. Well, I know sleep paralysis is one thing. He was able to move and swat at it. He wasn't paralyzed. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was real enough. And uh, so uh, it might have been because of the work I was doing at the time. It was the first I was working on the first book about uh, the Garden of Eden in Atlantis in 1989, the Vindicator Scrolls. And, of course, now that I've updated all that and... Uh, Certainly, we feel the pressure here, not of evil spirits, but of just you know, uh, you know, financial and uh, uh, physical uh, pressures on the, on both of us that uh, let you know that you're doing something that Satan doesn't like. <laughs> mm. Interesting, and I, I do I do believe that we're seeing an increase in, in the uh, well, or as you put it, the, the rending of, of the veil between the d- dimensions, the. Um, uh, would Surrey have anything to do with that? I, I mean, it, in, in any way, 
could it have anything to do with it? Look, I I don't go there to start with, but it is okay. possible. Okay, um, they are playing with very strong magnetic fields, and um, they're trying to punch to a parallel universe in small scale, and they might make a big scale by accident or otherwise. Certainly, the statue of that Shiva and stuff out in the front does make you wonder what their, their real purpose is. Um, but uh, where is it in the scripture about that? Um, it's in the end times about the the veil thinning, or you know, and people uh, men's heart will fail them for fear of things coming. Whether I don't know whether that applies to that or not, but there's a scripture I've been trying to find about that, about the veil, the evil things across the veil. It might be when the bottom spits open. I don't know. Anyway, I'll look it up on these days and find it. Interesting. Talk about that. Interesting. Yeah, but we are definitely seeing a rise in in what I would call uh, demonic possession, or at least the demonic presence is becoming more overt. Um, and and you know, of course, Rust of the Star talks about the dirtying of the air, and of course, the yeah, but we're we're seeing this, and I think I think it's um, I don't think it's by accident, but uh, I'm glad you pointed that out. Um, you know, this is not earth-shattering stuff, but last week I've also spent some time down on the ground in Google Earth Map trying to find the path that Israel took when they made the exodus from Egypt over to um, to Mount Sinai, which is not in the Sinai Peninsula. And uh, I remember back in, gosh, 1988, I think it was, I'd found some uh, military maps that hadn't been confiscated down in a library in Australia at one to a hundred thousand, and on the maps I found several things that indicated um, where the how the fresh water was made out of the salt water when they were in the Exodus, and and the fact that um, Mount Sinai might actually be in the, the southern part of uh, Saudi Arabia, underneath Jordan, and go on the on the coast of uh, the Gulf of Aqaba. Anyway, I I'd. Uh, I'd done all that, and, and uh, I shared the map with a guy named Ron Wyatt. He said, look, can I have a copy of that? Because we talked by phone. I said, sure, I know you're going over there and, and doing research. And he took it, and uh, he decided, as have some others, uh, and I think erroneously, that the Red Sea crossing didn't occur on the uh, the Suez side of the Sinai Peninsula. that occurred on the uh, Gulf of uh, Aqaba. Um, you know, which would have meant that the trip uh, out of Egypt would have taken longer and all kinds of things don't fit time-wise. But he reckoned he found a uh, chariot wheel at the tip of the Gulf there, right where it joins with the uh, Red Sea. And because of that, he figured, well, okay, this this is where Pharaoh's chariots were buried in the backwash, you know, from the water that closed in on them after Israel crossed the cross. Um so I decided, look, I'm going to get down at ground level here, and I'm going to trace, you know, mile by mile, in fact, in some cases, foot by foot, uh, the uh, altitude of various mountains and valleys and where people would camp, you know, 100,000 to a million people would camp with animals and stuff where they get water and that kind of thing. Now, if you look on the show images page at the third row down, in the first image on the left, and click on that, it will give you an overview uh, of where I traveled on Google Earth trying to fit time-wise and, and thing-wise what they discovered or what they saw 
where the exodus occurred. Now, the pyramids, or where the yellow pin is on the left, that's, you know, the, the, the plaza with, you know, uh, uh, Khufu and, and uh, you know, the three or four pyramids are all together there. At first, I thought there was going to be a problem with the exodus because I thought, well, goodness gracious, how did they get all those people and animals across the Nile from the pyramids? If they were working on the pyramids and were camped over there, but apparently they weren't. They were camped on the east side of the Nile, and the Nile ran between them. And so the workers were taken by boat over the, to work on the pyramids, but then they were brought back, uh, you know, after a period of servitude or whatever. So I started my little red line path from that area there, um, Goshen, I think, something like that anyway, where the, the Exodus trek started, and they left and they went down, and uh, they went to uh, a place where they camped on the Egyptian side of what they called the Sea of Reeds, which is a, a shallow part of the the Suez branch of the the Red Sea. And they were they were trapped in essence by Egypt chasing them in the chariots with their army, and they were hemmed in there uh, on the, from Egypt on the north side. Is it the north? Yeah, north side. And then there was this place called Migdal that their backs were to Migdal, and so they were trapped between there, the water of the Reed Sea, and Egypt, or the Egyptian chariots and, and the Pharaoh. Well, if you look on that map where Migdal is, and you get out your Google Earth and dive down, and you'll see there's about a 2,800-foot mountain rise there, which goes uh, down to the shore and forms a pocket where Israel could have camped underneath Migdal, or in the shadow of it, if you wish. And they would have definitely been trapped and killed by the Pharaoh if that um, that pillar did not fall down over the top of them all night long and blow the water apart there so they could pass on dry land. Now, uh, what you miss if you don't get in the Hebrew is that when that, uh, like a, like a, Tornado, a very big one, dropped down over the, uh, that area where Israel was standing and, and camping. It did what tornadoes do today, and, and that area, by the way, is known for what they call typhonus or typhons, uh, typhons, which were uh, tubular-shaped tornadoes, what they call them in the old writing. The air in the middle of a tornado, even today, is moist and it's warm, and it comes down the tube, right, splashed to the ground, and it forms a vacuum in the spinning wall, the thin wall of the tornado. So when it said that Israel could not reach the Egyptians, the Egyptians could not reach Israel during that night, it's because Israel was right in the middle of the stationary tornado that God created. And the wall between them, uh, they could see each other kind of dimly, uh, you know, off and on. But if they tried to put a weapon or an arm through that, it would have ripped it off or sucked it away. So both sides were protected from, you know, contact with the other. Of course, Israel was protected from getting annihilated, really. But anyway, there they were. And the, as the the hot air, uh, it was probably drier than our uh, moist areas over here when we have a tornado, but the hot air all night long came down and parted the the shallow reed sea and dried the ground so that uh, you know, ox carts and various other things that were used to carry their goods and animals could walk across on dry ground by the morning. It even tells you that the hot, dry wind came from an easterly direction, uh, which gives us an idea of which way the, the, the twist of the, the, the tornado was doing. Um, 
on, on the outside edge. Anyway, they crossed there, <clears throat> and as they crossed, they crossed uh, with this tornado sitting station over the top of them. And when they got to the other side, the tornado thing just kind of dried up and left, um, you know, it moved a bit, and it let Egypt and their chariots come after them into that dry ground of the, the Suez region there. The tornado lifted up, and the waves came in and, uh, you know, killed all of the Egyptian soldiers. Uh, it formed a collapsing wall of water on all the sides, picked them up in the air and threw their dead bodies back over on the Egyptian side so they didn't come over onto the Sinai Peninsula, and none of them survived. Now, that's where the crossing of the, the what they call the Red Sea in English, but it's the Reed Sea in Hebrew. Uh, that's where that occurred. And you see the red line, they turned, and they walked, they marked down, uh, marched down the, the coast there of the Sinai Peninsula, uh, southerly for two or three days. And they hit <clears throat> big lake of water. Everybody was thirsty. They complained to Moses, we can't drink. There's salt water in these ponds. They, you know, the bitter water ponds. And that's when Moses turned to the young men and said, go and find me some big tree limbs and about this shape and size and bring them here. Now, take these big trees and throw them out into the middle of the lake, and it will turn that salt lake into fresh water. Well, they did that, and where the, where the logs went in, bluish fresh water welled up and filled the whole lake and turned it into a freshwater lake. Now, in the map that I gave to Ron White, I explained to him, I said, you can see there's a wadi, an under under sand river that comes from the snow mountains on the peninsula there, of the Sinai Peninsula, and they form an inversion water lake. In other words, the fresh water comes down underneath the salt water blowing in from the, the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds, and it forms a heavier than regular water layer of water over the top of the fresh water, and it's called the saltwater inversion lake. So when you break that, that inversion layer by throwing a heavy object into it, it, it starts a cascade of the heavy salt water dives down into the fresh water underneath and pushes it up to the top. And that was the three-day bitter uh, water event uh, that uh, gave them the fresh water. And then I had to trace through there uh, down to the, where the palms and the 12 water wells were found, and they sojourned there for a while and, and caught their breath and, and got strength to, to go on for the rest of the journey through the wilderness of Sin, uh, which is where that red line goes uh, across the Sinai Peninsula. Uh, anyway, and they, they did that, and they went on over. There were two pathways I could see that they could take to cross over at um, Elat, or, you know, at the top of the Gulf of Aqaba. Uh, two would work, uh, one slightly longer than the other by a few miles, but I traced each of these. I went down and said, can cattle come down through this pass here, or is it wide enough, and that kind of stuff. I made it just like I was Moses, trying to find a safe place to take my people through on reasonably level ground, or at least not uh, chunky, rocky ground, and where there might be water. Anyway, that's that's the path I found there. You're looking at a couple hundred miles, between two and three hundred miles of this path of the Exodus. Now, there, when I tried to find how you'd get up into Medea, which as you'll see in the, in the drawing there, it's where uh, Moses' father-in-law lived, and where Moses spent uh, 40 years with his wife, you know, Jethro's daughter, and he helped with the sheep uh, for his father-in-law. It's There's only one way to get up across the mountains there uh, with, you know, a million people and livestock, whatever, and uh, that's down toward the, the, the top of the Gulf of Aqaba. Now, there is, I say there's one way, there's a second way, which I found uh, still just a few miles uh, north of there. Both of them lead to the same place, to 
a, a like a little valley in between mountains and surrounded by mountains there, and that's where I'm pretty sure that Jethro was camped in that area where his, his his tribe was, and that was where old Medea was, uh, M I D I A Medea in the old records. Now, uh, if you look southerly across that, there's a mountain range or a small range of mountains between where Jethro lived and a fertile plain down in. Uh, Saudi Arabia today, but in that time it was just a, a fertile plain where you'd have to travel, you know, 30 miles or so to get to it, but and across some hard country, unless you figured out a clever way to get around some of the mountains, which I'm sure Moses did. And it said that Moses, Moses used to feed his father-in-law's sheep across the mountains, you know, at the backside of the mountains in this fertile area. And I found that fertile plain in Google Earth. And I went to the rim of it, the high rim on the south part, and I stood there like I was Moses on the Google Earth. And Digital Deo was there. And I stood there and I said, all right, what did he see? Where could he see from here? There was a big mountain and it could have a burning bush and it would attract him to get away from the sheep to come and see God. And that's where the line of sight, yellow line, goes to uh, a dark black mountain, which is a pair of uh, volcanic cones that are not active now. But the Bedouins call it the Burning Mountain, which is volcano in Bedouin talk. And that was probably the real Mount Sinai. And from there, I mean, even Ron Wyatt took the, the maps and he found uh, one area, which I think I found the same area, where it's a long trench from a, a lava formation uh, east of the Mount Sinai there, where the volcano was. And this area is deeper than the other long furrows of lava there, and it's covered over by sand in the middle of it. And it's probably where Coronet's sons died, when the earth opened up and swallowed them when they were abandoning uh, the, the Israel. And Moses said, you take your goods and get out. Well, I think that's we found the place there where they were buried. And Ron said he found, and some other people, the tourists uh, have also said that they found the rock that was cleft in two by Moses striking it and where the water sprang up. So this area, I'm pretty, pretty certain, was where the the, the majority of the Ten Commandments and the, and the dealings of God on Mount Sinai and the burning bush, that occurred in uh, southeastern Saudi Arabia today, uh, where I've got those pens on the map. Um, if you want to see um, what Moses saw, go to the third row right image and click on that. And it, the yellow pen shows where Moses would have been standing on some little ridges, and he would have looked over to see the burning mountain, uh, which would have been next to Jabal el-Laws. But the burning mountain is just called the burning mountain, so there's not, I don't know, any map reference to it. But you can see where the line goes and how what he was looking to see over in the distance, what, what it attracted him to go and talk to God. Um, yeah, so so this, this is scientific confirmation. Yeah, uh, yeah. Of the Bible. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's what I'm about. That, the Garden of Eden, uh, Atlantis, which would be the, the, the follow ones in Genesis 6, and, and that whole thing. There's a whole missing chapter or chapters about uh, what uh, the Nephilim were called and where they, they lived and stuff. And, and I'm filling in those blanks with hard data that we're finding now in uh, the Middle East. And it's just so fitting that uh, Muhammad bin Salman looks like he's going to be the, the bad guy of this age, and he's coming from old Atlantean dirt, you know. And, and why? Why does Saudi Arabia say to, to the foreigners, you cannot come in and film, you know, uh, you cannot come in and explore archaeologically in all these places that I've been doing with Google Earth. You're, we don't even like for you to fly over, and I think they've convinced um uh, the United States and other countries that they're not going to be able to image uh, and show on Google Earth to the the west of um, the southwest of the Jabal Tuak 
sure that NSA is, you know, and the, and the map agency have got the detailed images we want, but there's no way that they're going to share that with me. But uh, it, it just all fits. It fills in gaps in our knowledge of history. And I was watching at lunchtime today on a, oh, I forget the name of the channel, but it was, it was talking about the dinosaurs being called dragons in the old writings. And it was from the creation research group showing how, you know, various things prove that we have a young Earth and how, you know, light uh, and radiation and stuff used to travel orders of magnitude, like, you know, like 30, 40 million times faster than they do now. And that's why the age, uh, aging of various strata and bones and stuff is off. And I just was so encouraged by that. It's just scientific proof that our established scientific view of the age of the Earth and the universe is just up to creek. Interesting. Sam, we've got about uh, 60 seconds left of our program. I can't believe you did it again. Uh, I've taken <laughs> us for another hour. And what a fascinating way to end the program. I'm looking at this, uh, at, at that uh, third row picture. My goodness. It's yeah. fascinating, folks. Well, look at that uh, third row uh, in the middle one there. Uh, just quickly, that uh, that shows you uh, uh, where that Medianite uh, village or, or tribe lived. You can see the pathways that I picked through there, and I, you know, eventually will make the, the little data files available for people who want to go on uh, uh, Google Earth and track it themselves, so they can see that. If you look right above that in the second row, uh, second image, you get uh, an Egyptian view looking toward. Uh, the real Mount Sinai over, you know, way way out yonder, and Migdal, that high place, and right there, next to the blue water, is where Israel was trapped by the Pharaoh. Folks, the real Indiana Jones, actually the digital Indiana Jones as well. Uh, visit standale.com, check it out, listen to this program again, especially Standale's presentation. Oh, what a fabulous! We're at the end of the program, wow. Stan. It's been another week. God bless you and Holly. Stay safe. And thank you. Thank you. God bless you, boys. Bye-bye. God bless you, too. We'll be back tomorrow. Have a good night, everyone. This is the Global Star Radio Network. The Genesis.